We're not even putting out a video. We don't believe, we don't care. We don't fucking care. Fuck you. And, uh, and then sort of like when they had the epiphany, we're go, the, the music is so fast. The music is so intense. We don't think we could put out another album that's faster. You couldn't, you're, you're physically as a human being, you couldn't go any faster unless you started using some kind of tricks. So they brought in this guy, Bob Rock and Bob Rock and uh, Metallica. They hated each other at first. Bob Rock was a brash young guy who told, started telling Metallica what they needed to do. And I think Metallica was going to kill this motherfucker. <laughs> and, a lot uh, of almost murders. <laughs> a lot of oh, a lot of anger. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing story. But then the the Black Album came out, and that changed everything. Because suddenly, not only were they were they intense, not only were they fast, but they were so melodic, and the musicianship. It was crazy uh, what what they accomplished. And, you know, anyway, everyone, that's why it's important to me that we honor Metallica today. They have a new album. They have a tour starting. And uh, I want to sit there and listen to them. Not only are they going to play, but I want to talk to them about how they put music together. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, William Shatner. I haven't spoken to you in a while. Uh, William Shatner, the, the captain of the Star Trek. How are you, sir? Howard, I'm so pumped for Metallica. Oh, Bill <laughs> Shatner knows how to rock. Let me just get in tune here. Master of Puppets. Oh. I'm pulling your strings, twisting your mind, and smashing your dreams. You know, Bill, Blinded. I didn't know you... I, I didn't know you did Metallica. You're, you're doing of, Master of, of Puppets. Of course I do. Have you noticed the pauses in my singing? They're very subtle, but I, you know, I don't blame you if you missed them. You know, it's just one of those subtle things that I do. I got to get back in picture. I hope, I hope, I hope Metallica's listening. They'd be so honored that you're doing their song. Go ahead. I'll let you do a little bit of it. I love metal so much because my tips made my my hips made out of titanium. Your tits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, also my tip too. Uh, uh, your your hips are made of metal. No, I think he said yes, his dick is I, made I, of metal. Oh, your I'm dick is made. So, well, <laughs> right, go ahead. Now, you, you, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Blinded by me, you can't see a thing. Just call my name, cause how? <sighs> Here you scream! <laughs> wow, master, master! Just call my name, cause <gasps> I'll hear you scream, master, master of puppets. Uh. Ah, thank you, Bill. <laughs> All right. I tell you, always getting in pitch. Hell Satan. Hell Satan. Isn't he great? That's uh, William Shatner. Uh, he has, by the way, has quite a recording career himself. And uh, he hasn't lost a step. 92 years old. His voice sounds fantastic. He sings beautifully. It's really something. Uh, let's, uh, blah, 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 blah. Mike, you're on the air in Virginia. Go ahead. Hey, Howard, how's it going? Hey, um, I heard you saying about how Metallica really became popular after their Black album. Yes, they became, um, 
they became very, very uh, big. They also started putting out, of course, uh, you know, videos. And at the time... Yeah, yeah. You know, but the uh, true Metallica fans will tell you that their first four albums were their greatest albums. And when the Black Album came out, Metallica lost a lot of fans, even though they are one of the greatest thrash metal yes, bands. I'm aware of player. the entire... I'm aware of the entire Metallica history. There are fans who are, you know, they were upset because they considered Metallica their band. And when the Black Album came out, it was so popular. They sold so many albums. You know, there were always fans who will go... They, that sucks. They're commercial. They're this. That. The Black Album they is sold out. A, yeah, yeah. It is such a great album. It is such a disciplined album that yeah, it's. I don't know about them selling out, but when that out, the Black Album first came out, me and my friend took off work to be at the record store. That's back when you bought records in the store. The first day the album came out, and we listened to about half of that album, and then threw it out the window. It's just, it's not the same. Well, how wrong? How wrong you were. Because the Black Album is fantastic. It's a masterpiece. I mean, you know, no, I love no, these no, guys. No, oh, bullshit. Uh, okay, listen, I oh, can't uh, sit and debate uh, What this. you're saying is not an opinion. <laughs> it's a bad opinion. It, I mean, the, you know, I should sit here and pl before Metallica comes and play the entire Black Album. And then when you listen to it and you listen to the songs, you just breathtaking and by the way dude if you're still listening uh i think if you listen to load and reload after that uh, you know why am i arguing with this guy uh, you know what i'm saying who cares same stupid comments hi everybody it's uh oh hi george george takei from uh star oh. trek everyone from star trek is here well, what's Bill on your mind shatner was atrocious i can <laughs> sing metallica <clears throat> go ahead exit light exit night yeah take my hand oh my we're off to never never land very good, George. Brad, get in here and do a solo on my skin flute. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, th thank you, George. That was nice. He gets jealous whenever Bill Shatner does a song. So I wonder if we'll hear from the rest of the crew. Good Lord. Everybody's wanting to cover Metallica for us today from Star Trek. Yes, Gary, in Pennsylvania. Good morning. Hey, Howard. Hey, you mentioned Metallica is one of your top five bands. Who are the other four? Well, listen, uh, what were you going to say? The Beatles, the Stones, uh, Eddie Van Halen's band, Van Halen. Um, who else you want to put in there? God, you know, when you say top five, they're really... Well, you just named... Led, Ze Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, in, and then Metallica. Metallica. Tuchus is number Sabbath? six, of course. <laughs> Sabbath is an unbelievable band. Ozzy, uh, oh, I mean, come on. There's so many great bands. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's why I call to it just you, know, you, you know who I have an, an appreciation for, too? The Allman Brothers Band. When I, when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate them enough. And then lately, I've been listening to a lot of them and listening to some of those guitar solos. And you want to know sometimes, sometimes when I hear Metallica, and I'm going to ask him this today, I sometimes think, that when when um James when you hear James and Kirk playing together 
sometimes it reminds me of the early days of the Allman Brothers when Dwayne and, um, what the fuck's his name? Uh, Dwayne and, um, the guy Dickie Betts. Died. Dickie Betts. Thanks, Fred. Dwayne and Dickie Betts would play together. Do you see that at all, Fred? Or am I out of my mind? I guess Fred's they're maybe. highly overlooked. One of the best bands ever. And it really is a shame that uh, no one really pays attention to what they did because they really elevated dual leads to an art yes. form. I, I think they were trying to emulate a horn section is what it was. Well, let me ask you, when you, hear, when, like. when you hear um, when you hear James and Kirk playing together sometimes, I get don't that. You, you do get it. All right, Rick. I do crazy. get it. All right. Not at all. There you go. And if Fred says it, it's true. But yeah, the Allman Brothers band was something. And I saw oh, him play a lot. I love the Allman Brothers, yeah. Yeah. We're talking yeah, the, the original lineup. Phenomenal. Yeah, they, they really were just something else. Badass. Whipping post. Sometimes I feel like I've been tied to the whipping post. I remember when I got a guitar, I tried to play this and I sucked. I didn't realize you have to just keep playing it over and over again until you get it right. I know. Sometimes that doesn't occur to a person. I thought when you bought a guitar, you just are able to play this. Yeah, the music would just come. All right, here it comes, everybody. This is it, right here. Wow. Sing it. <laughs> wow. Oh, Lord, I feel like, feel like I'm, I'm dying. dying. Oh, my God. I was listening to um, Metallica. All right, thanks. I was, I was listening to Metallica all last night, just sort of getting pumped up to talk to those guys. And, uh, then I went, I did the wrong thing. I went and I, I, uh, watched American Idol and I went, oh, <laughs> these, these kids, these poor bastards. I was like, I'm listening to the, you know, when you watch the specials, and there's a couple of them about how Metallica put together the black album and the work that went into it, the months of anguish, writing the songs and laboring over every note and it, and then having to come up with a new way of recording it. They do it live recording and trying to capture the right sound. And then I put on American Idol and somebody's singing somewhere over the rainbow. You know, and I'm like, oh, this isn't the way it's done. It's. Uh, I watched a couple of episodes, you know, because I said, all right, I got to see this interaction between whatever that guy's name is and and Katy Perry and uh, Lionel that you talk about. And so I watched some of the auditions and I was like, how can he sit through this? He has. Oh, we love it. Music. No, we, but we love <laughs> American Idol. Horrible. We love it. I, I'm not going to knock it. I love the competition, but. There's uh, no competition. It's all bad. Well, no, no, <laughs> Who's no, the no, best no. of the bad? Oh, my God. No, no. Come on. Stop it. Uh, it's I'm a good not show. Stopping. But <laughs> the point is, uh, never mind. All right. Who is this? I'm trying to make a point. And I can't make it. Uh, hey, look who it is, Robin. Leonard Nimoy oh. from uh, Star Trek. Oh. Hi, Leonard. I'm not here to sing. 
I just wanted to say Shatner and Takei can both suck my big fat Spock. I'm out of here. All right. That, oh enough of the door knock. Fuck. Uh, what was your point? You were listening to Metallica and then you watched them. No, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay. I made my point. My point is I have no point. <laughs> uh, what else? Mike. Main. Main Mike. Go ahead. Good morning, Howard. Morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, Howard. Uh, um, sad news. Did you hear that uh, Al Jaffe, the guy that created the mad folding on the back cover, died on uh, Monday? Of course I did. years old. 102 years old, Al Jaffe. he got to be. <clears throat> Al Jaffe was one of my heroes. Now, <clears throat> this is where uh, I can talk about real genius. Mad Magazine was everything to me growing up. When I discovered Mad Magazine, I thought I discovered another planet. I couldn't believe Mad Magazine existed. I couldn't believe it. It spoke to me. It was my... It was, I couldn't wait for it every month to come in the mail. I immediately got a subscription. My cousin Jack Adler, rest in peace, turned me on to Mad Magazine in the most wonderful way. I had spoken to him and I spoke to Jack and Jack was the guy who, I told you, he painted all the covers. My cousin painted all, he was the most famous guy I ever met my cousin. He painted the covers to Batman, Superman, DC Comics. He was a vice president of Warner Brothers. That's a he big deal, amazing. Howard. I mean, it kind of gets glossed over that your cousin had that huge of a job. Huge That's job. True. And I was and I was like so like he to me was the most famous person I ever met. I used to go but he down was to also the, so accomplished, you know, like it's yeah. one thing. Some a lot of people can be famous, but he was talented. Yeah, I used to go down to the Warner Brothers building and uh, they, you know, Jack had a beautiful office and uh, he was be there. He's painting with all the other artists. It was so intoxicating. It was so exciting to see him at work. And um, also, uh, he worked in the same building and even did some work, some uh, painting work for Mad Magazine. But I didn't know about Mad Magazine. I'll tell you how I found out. And I've told this story a million times on the year, so I'll do it quick. It was amazing. Um, I was begging my parents for Playboy magazine and my mom and uh, Jack, they would get together all the time. You know, they, all the couples, my aunt and my Jack Adler, my cousin, Jack's wife, Dorothy, they'd get together. My mother must have said, oh, Howard's Hakami in China getting a uh, mad, ma getting a, a Playboy magazine. Howard wants ma uh, Playboy magazine. This is what he wants. I'm not giving it to him, blah, blah, blah. I get in the mail from Jack. A Playboy magazine. I open it up. I couldn't believe it. I was 12 years old. 12 years old. And I, op I open up this envelope he mailed me. And it's Playboy magazine. I couldn't believe it. I ran up to my bedroom to do you know what. I, mean, I couldn't wait oh to look boy. at this thing alone. Yeah, that's right. I was ready to... <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure what I was doing, but it, something was going to go down. Well, I ran upstairs and I opened it up. And I'm reading it, and all Playboy magazine is just like these weird little cartoons and very strange, like, uh, funny stuff, but, like, completely 
the no naked chicks. I didn't, Not I, what I didn't you know were what, looking for, right? I was I was confused. I was like, I don't know what Playboy magazine is. I guess it's like a comic book sometimes, and it's funny limericks and weird shit. And I was freaking out. And then I kind of put it together when I got to the back thing. My cousin had glued on the cover to Playboy magazine on a Mad magazine. That's how brilliant my cousin was. How funny is that? Because he wasn't going to send me a Playboy. You know, that was up to my parents. So, but then as was, I'm reading. Were your pants around your ankles while you were bleeping? Yeah, yeah. Reading these limericks? <laughs> yeah, I was like, leave me alone. <laughs> well, all I know is I was fascinated because this this magazine, what I thought was Playboy, I said, this is unbelievably funny. And it's so out there. It was so considered so outrageous. And it used to knock the establishment. It's like, uh, you know. I almost came on Alfred E. Newman's face. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, Mad Magazine was so great. Like Al and, and Al Jaffe, you know, I started to memorize the names of the guys. There was, you know, it always said the um, written by the usual gang of idiots. And I was like, who are the gang of idiots who put this, you know, magazine together? And uh, one of them was Al Jaffe. And like Al Jaffe's the guy who made that great cover where... Alfred E. Newman, you know, he was missing his front tooth and he's brushing his teeth. And you see his toothbrush is missing a whole space. <laughs> you know, it was cut out just like his teeth. And I was like, this guy's a fucking genius. And Al Jaffe was the guy famously who came up with the idea to do the Mad Folden. Anyone who loves Mad Magazine knows what the Folden is. It was brilliant. Oh, it was you the would... best part of Mad Magazine. I'm sorry to cut you off. It was the best part of the magazine. Is wait, like you're looking at the picture going, I'm trying to figure out what it's going to be when I fold it in thirds. What the fuck is it going to be? And, and the, guy uh, was a brilliant, the guy was a brilliant joke writer. He would have a joke, but you had to fold the magazine in thirds in order to see the joke. And I'll never forget, the, the, the story was Al Jaffe did it for one issue. It was only supposed to be a one-off. He was goofing on the Playboy centerfold. You know, right. he wanted a centerfold. <laughs> well, he was goofing on it. And the publisher went, oh, fuck, this is so great. Everyone loved it so much that this poor guy, Al Jaffe, had to come up with a fold in every issue. I, I mean, I don't know how <laughs> mentally he did it because they were funny and they were witty and they were brilliant. And this guy, more than anyone, when I say, you know, there's a couple of influences I had in my early life. A lot of influences that made me want to do radio and do a funny radio show. Soupy Sales, The Three Stooges, um, my father, because I wanted to do a radio show just like how my father would get angry about the dumbest shit. <laughs> it was great. Uh, my father, I was like, if I ever get on the radio, I'm just going to let it all out. I'm going to like, I'm just going to vent. Because that's what my father would do. I, I mean, <laughs> my father would get angry about everything. It he, he, he was amazing. Like. I was telling the guys, we were talking yesterday about what people give at a wedding for a gift. And I remember the first time I got married, uh, my father, he goes, right after I got married, you know, usually you go off to the honeymoon room, you know, he goes, go back to the hotel. Let's open up the envelopes of these people. See what they gave. <laughs> and my father would go, every envelope we opened, a oh, cheap bastard. <laughs> And I remember at the end of opening these envelopes, my father was on such a tirade. He had turned red. He was so dissatisfied with what people gave me. You're a young guy. Start now. You don't have anything. They're so cheap. And then there were people who didn't give cash gifts. They gave like crock pots and china 
and stuff like that. My father went, I, I thought my father was going to beat nuts, a right? wall in this hotel. He goes, <laughs> what are they giving you a gift? You need cash. <laughs> Look at a crock pot. You got five crock pots. What's he? Barrel. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> you know, like, like my mother would try to calm him down. And I went, there's a radio show right there. So my father was an influence. My, 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 but my mad magazine was my biggest influence when I would see that and they would make fun of everything. I remember I got on the radio and I was working with Fred. I said to Fred, we got to do like what Mad Magazine did. We got to bring to the radio like a goof on the Beverly Hillbillies or, or we got to do, we got to, we got to like make little movies for people to listen to when they're driving in their car. I'd say, we got to do like a spoof of I Love Lucy and have Ricky, you know, really like sick of Lucy. And, you know, I, I, I would say, we got to, we got to bring that to radio. We got to bring that kind of excitement to radio that, that Mad Magazine brought to me as a kid. And then Fred ate his pencil and stared at me. <laughs> I, um, but you had the right then, idea. What <laughs> right I can't understand is what I can't understand is how Mad Magazine couldn't translate to TV. I think they tried, but it, it it just never happened. And well, it was I'll a tell you what, brilliant magazine. They translated to TV, but not on their own. It was guys like 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 Lorne Michaels who started Saturday Night Live. He translated it to TV. It was guys like um, Ivan Reitman. Who made all of those movies? All of us kids were influenced by Mad Magazine. You know, all of those guys at the National Lampoon—they were influenced by Mad Magazine. We just—we took it a step further, but they—that was our daddy. That was our father. Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine filled my head with possibilities. And I, you know, teach you how remember, to be sarcastic. As a kid, I remember being like, "That's I." No one ever really made fun of like popular TV shows or popular actors and actresses, and they were just making like asinine, off, off color, just crazy, weird jokes. And, that's uh, right. They, I, I grew up wanting to be weird, wanting to be like a weirdo. I wanted to be. I loved, you know, I loved all the weird Me too. TV shows. It's how I fucking probably love you, Howard, because we both love Mad and Mad is. You are like Mad Magazine. You are hilarious. As, as time went by, as time went by, Mad Magazine was done in by people like, um, like uh, you know, Saturday Night Live and, and 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 our show, and a lot of irreverence because you know they they, in a sense, gave birth to all of us, and and um, and now I have my own gang of idiots, uh, and uh, you know, and I've always thought of it that way. I said, man, if I ever get on the radio and I get successful, I'm going to have my own gang. And I always was envious of the gang of idiots, the fun they must have had, the, the camaraderie <laughs> developing that magazine. I wanted my own gang. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Al Jaffe Prevalent. was unbelievable. The fact that that guy lived through so many years and was there at Mad Magazine through all of them because no one was more brilliant than Al Jaffe. He was one funny motherfucker. Al Jaffe, rest in peace, 102 years old. And, uh, wow, what a life. What a life. I mean, the brilliance of this guy sitting in a room alone, coming in with that fold-in. and Oh, my God. I remember the first fold-in. It was um, Richard Burton and uh, Elizabeth Taylor were married, and they were getting a divorce. And out, you folded it in. And then when you folded it in, Liz, Bert, Liz uh, Taylor was running into the arms of a young man when you folded it in. It was like, <laughs> who is she going to marry next? And it was some young stud. 
but yeah, the usual gang of idiots. You know, that's why people say, Howard, why do you only hire idiots like Sal? I go, because I wanted my gang of idiots. <laughs> that's what I want. One time, um, Al Jaffe put me in the uh, mad fold, and this was years later. He, he, there was a painting. Uh, he did a painting of uh, all the idiots and, and loudmouths on, on. He goes, what obnoxious bore is notori notorious for asking questions no one else does? And then he put me, Bill O'Reilly, Ali G, Michael Moore, all these guys. And you folded it up, and it was Ken Jennings, with, uh, <laughs> you know, the guy from Jeopardy. Right. Yeah. I was, like, so honored. And I don't know who painted the cover of uh, Mad Magazine when I was uh, getting my head plunged in the toilet bowl by Alfred E. Newman, but it was it an Al Jaffe or not? I don't know. I don't remember. Boy, was I honored. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't know how many people remember the name Al Jaffe, but I sure do. And I am I was really sad to see that he died. And I can't wait to read his obituary in the New York Times. I, I, did, I was so busy thinking about Metallica yesterday, I didn't have time to read the paper. Um, I understand if you fold Al Jaffe's death certificate, it turns into a middle finger. It gives you a fuck you. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Howard, what did your did you did your dad have any opinion about Mad? Did he ever see it and think anything about it, or think it was stupid and ignorant? And you shouldn't be reading it, or do you think it was funny, or no opinion? The only thing that I know about my dad and Mad Magazine, I don't, my father wouldn't, you know, go for that kind of nonsense. But <clears throat> every once in a while, my mother would try to force my father and I to have a day together. It was very rare. Like once a year, he had to take me to work, and it was, you know, it was not fun. I mean, it was fun, but. He was kind of angry about it. But my mother managed to score two tickets to Mad the Mad Show on Broadway. Starring uh, some people that you might have remembered if you go back a hundred years to laugh-in. Joanne Worley was in that production. This was on Broadway. It was called The Mad Show. But it really didn't capture Mad Magazine. They used the name The Mad Show. But it was good. It was really good. And... uh this was before Laughing, before Saturday Night Live, before anything. It was called The Mad Show. And my father had to take me. My mom was supposed to take me. But she she kind of finagled it. She says, I can't go. Well, you take him. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I was so excited to go to The Mad Show. But I know whenever I went into the city with my dad, it was going to be a lot of yelling and screaming. <laughs> Starting with the car ride in. Oh, and him boy. screaming about the other drivers. And then also, if I talked in the car, he'd start yelling at me that I talked too much. Shut up! Shut up! Listen to the radio! Bob Glant! <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I would sit and listen to the radio and everything. Everything was trauma and, and angst and... He wasn't happy about having to take me, but once we sat down in, Bro in the Broadway theater and we watched the Man Show, my dad was happy. He oh, yeah, wow. he liked it. He thought it was funny. Good. Yeah, but he didn't read the magazine. But uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't his generation? Anyway, that's uh, hey Howard. Just so you know, Jack Davis was the guy that uh, drew the uh, toilet plunger Mad uh, magazine cover. Another great artist, Jack Davis. Another guy. I think he's dead, too. I guess all those guys are. 
1995, 91 years old. Yeah. They all lived long lives. That's because, you know what? They they just sat and drew all day. No yeah, but they say that them. laughter, you know, that, you know, having that kind of buoyant kind of personality yeah. that's always coming up with the funny and, you know, making each other laugh. I'm sure that yeah. helped with their longevity. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's why we're so healthy. We're laughing. <laughs> what do you want, Ralph? Hey, now. Hey, you know, it's hard to explain to people what was so great about that magazine. Like, like you say, it was like 20 different great artists. And like you would get that thing and it was just jam packed. Every page, those little drawings on the side and, of the panel. And no commercials. They would not take any advertisements. It was and, mind blowing. And it was they like $2 and you just fucking pour over that thing. They didn't want to be corrupted by having sponsors say, don't do this and do this. And they didn't want the corporate fucking mentality getting into the magazine. It was brilliant. But it, all, it wasn't like dirty or anything like that. No. It was just really smart and funny. And well, that's why they were eventually put out of business. Because the National Lampoon would go where they wouldn't go. Yeah, and then and then and they had that stupid crack that ripped, ripped them off. I hated that magazine. It was just a stupid rip-off. Mm, cracked. I love Cracked. Did you? <laughs> Alfred, Alfred um, uh, uh, something P. Smythe. Uh, Crack oh, magazine. This is a mad magazine ripoff. That's like somebody doing your show. You know what I mean? It's just uh, a ripoff. Okay. They had some good stuff. They weren't as good as Mad Magazine. You're right. Um, what was the guy's name? Sylvester P. Smythe was the Alfred E. Newman of Crack Magazine. Mm. Yeah, no. Fuck him. You don't like <laughs> Sylvester P. Smythe? Fuck him. Hey, did I hear you defended? Did I hear you defended the Dalai Lama yesterday on Instagram? No, no. You're nuts. I post. I, you know, people are whoever whoever said that to you is really stupid. Like I forget what, what I wrote. I wrote like I don't see why people are so upset about this with him kissing, you know, like sucking that kid's tongue or him. No wonder you get thrown off of these social media. Dude, <laughs> are you being sarcastic? Or you, people don't know sarcasm. You, yeah, you know, you're not really stupid. Yeah, yeah, go see the post. I mean, it's clearly like I'm goofing. I on see. It. Like someone told know? me, Ralph's on. Uh, social media defending the Dalai Lama kiss making out with a 12 year old boy I, and I see people get upset in the comments and I love it I'm like you're so fucking stupid right, thank you Ralph thank you yep anyway uh, Ralph. yeah rest in peace Al Jaffe uh I don't know about, uh, but I get sad when those guys die because you know what? Uh, they are well, all of forgotten. You do. I get sad because they're forgotten. It's like, like you know, so and many... they were brilliant and had such an impact on your life. You can't believe that younger people don't know them and don't understand where all this stuff they like came from. This is crazy. I'm reading about Motley Crue. They're suing. Um, Motley Crue guitarist Mick Mars has filed legal papers against his own band. He <laughs> claims the band was gaslighting him into thinking he was in cognitive decline and claims the rest of the band were miming their performances during their latest tour. What? That's fucking unbelievable. Jeez. 
You think I guess they really ran a scam on him where they made him think he was losing well, it? I, I don't, well, you know what it is? It's weird with bands because like, I think he's like 10 years older than the rest of the band. Yeah. So they were probably like, hey, you know, maybe maybe for some reason they felt he wasn't playing up to snuff. So they probably got together and said, hey, we can't just fire the guy. Let's just tell him he's losing his mind and he's not playing correctly. <laughs> that's how... Um, that's how we get rid of people around here. I just go, you know, you're losing your mind. <laughs> it's much nicer. No, so I guess he feels they were gaslighting him. Mm. And um, so he's going to sue the band over it. Well, that'll be and an that interesting trial. Yeah. Oh, what a great trial. And then th <laughs> he's claiming that they sing to track. That, in other yeah. words, the ever no one's really up there playing. Nobody's doing anything. You're basically watching... <laughs> Motley Crue, according to him, while music is playing somewhere, lip -syncing I guess. in their lip <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> it's funny, you know. All those guys, they were on MTV. They're young. Then you fast forward to now and everyone's <laughs> fighting. That's the great thing about Metallica. They had their years of fighting, but they got through it, thank God. Yes. I'm so glad they're still around. And then Kiss... Um, you know, I'm so wrapped up in this Paul Stanley book. When we had Kiss on a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was talking to Paul after the show and uh, Paul said, hey, have you ever read my book? I think you'd like it. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go get it. And I got it. And I'm really enjoying it. I really do. I, I think it's a very honest rock and roll book. And I love books about rock and roll. And then I'm talking to Sal, who's like the biggest Kiss fan on the planet. Right. And Sal goes, man, being a Kiss fan right now is like being a fan of Real Housewives, the Real Housewives of Kiss. <laughs> so, you know, when Paul was on our show, just to take you through it, Paul, when Paul Stanley was on our show, we were talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Paul was upset because he says, you know, when they, in, they wanted to induct us with the original lineup with Ace Fraley and Peter Chris. And he said, you know what, we our band isn't that anymore, and we got to bring our new guys up there. And 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 he was quite upset about it, and Paul said... They this. were demanding, quite honestly, that we play with the two original guys, Peter and Ace. And at this point, that would be demeaning to the band, and also would give some people confusion. Because if you saw people on stage who looked like Kiss, but sounded like that... Maybe we should be called piss. So, I mean, I guess Ace got real upset. It was as a result of that interview, right? That Ace got all pissed off, right? Yeah. Sal? yeah. He went nuts. Yeah. He went on Eddie Trunk's show and uh, he had something to say. Yeah. So Ace Fraley got upset with what Paul said on our show. I told you it's like it's like a soap <laughs> opera. It's uh, <laughs> and when he was on Eddie Trunk's show, he demanded an apology within one week or else. I'll play you the oh. clip. I'm going to make a statement to Paul Stanley right now. And Paul, I'm telling you that I want a formal apology for what you said and a retraction and an apology within seven days. And if I don't get that within seven days, I'm coming back on Ed Trunk's show and I'm going to tell some dirt. That nobody knows about Paul and Jean. I have a 120-page manuscript that I wrote after I finished my book. And my attorney has it in the safety deposit box. God forbid anything happens to me. My attorney is instructed to release it to the New York Times, Rolling Stone, API, everybody. Their careers will be ruined.
It sounds like Henry Hill. He's making a big wow. threat there. Yeah. It's really great. This whole thing going on, right, Richard? I love it. I mean, I listen. I'm a massive Eddie Trunk fan. I listen to his show every day. And the great thing about his show is, uh, it's been said that he's called like the Andy Cohen of rock music because <laughs> there's all this drama with, like you said, with 80s bands. They get, they were young when they started out. Now they're older. They're worried about money. And they, you know, there's bands like, uh, the b band Great White. Like, there's two of them because they can't get along. There's Great White, and then their singer has Jack Russell's Great White. And then, like, the old <laughs> band, like the band L.A. Guns, there were two L.A. Guns, right. and they were fighting over the name. And I love, because I grew up with that music, I love this kind of drama. And and Eddie covers a lot of it. And this Ace thing was huge on his well, show. Like, people were doing countdowns to when he yeah. was going to reveal something. Well, here's the kicker. So seven days, seven days have gone by. Seven days later, Ace calls back to the Eddie Trunk show. And it really was kind of a letdown. Disappointingly, he decided to keep the dirt to himself. So oh, you my go. goodness. <laughs> yeah, we, we got upset. Instead of an apology, I got a five-second phone call which said, Fuck you, Ace. I'm not going to apologize. And hung up. Now, I told Doc McGee this whole story. And you know what he came back with? Paul denied making the phone call. I said, Doc, I have the evidence. I I did screen grabs. So where does this rest with you? Um, where where uh, are you at? I initially, if you, if you remember correctly, I initially said, if he doesn't apologize, I'm going to spill some dirt that nobody knows about. Right. And then I spoke to several good friends of mine who are God-fearing people and... Uh, I go to AA meetings with, and, you know, they said, you know, don't ever sink to that level. No. There's oh, drama. Come on. <laughs> sink, sink. Please. There's drama about the drama. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, some people said to me, well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, he got a little carried away and didn't really have any drama, but he was just making the threat. I mean, listen, what could it be? What could it be? Right. Drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what would you be shocked that rock stars did? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's like Melrose Place, just with more makeup, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so, so there you go. It's, uh, it's the That's Real Housewives wild. of Kiss. Yeah, Sal, you must be all over this. Wild. Oh, Howard, I'm in heaven with this stuff. And it, it's like it's like sports fans. It's like uh, Mets fans versus Yankee fans between Kiss and these guys. Like a guy will write on a message board like Ace is the real uh, spaceman. Another guy writes back Ace is a washed up drunk. You're a douchebag. And they're and they're 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 fans of the same fucking band. Yet right. they're constantly fighting. And well, that's what well, Eddie know, calls his show. He says it's like sports talk for rock fans because, like, the, people get so passionate about this stuff. You know, with those. What is uh, what fans. is Eddie Trunk's uh, background? I don't uh, know a lot about this. Eddie. Is Where actually his, his. It's his fortieth year in radio. This year, he started forty years ago on a station in New Jersey in his twenties, doing a heavy metal show. And then he was on, I think, Q104. Yes. And I think he still is in, in New York City. But um, he's been with Sirius for a long time now, and his show is really, really good. Is he a musician? 
No, no, he's just, just a, fan a fan that, yeah. that knows. Yeah. Like he is a music genius. Like he had a show on VH1 called That Metal Show, and they would do Stump the Trunk, and you could ask him like, "Who is the second guitarist in Bullet Boys in 1988?" And he would know. It's like he has this <laughs> crazy 80s music knowledge. And does, he, does he? Is he like cool looking, or is he like look like a shut in, like uh, like Uncle you know, Fester? He looks or something. like Howard. He looks like yeah. um like a taller version of Stewart from Beavis and Butthead. Oh, oh wow, Stu- <laughs> that's a good we look. We love you, Eddie. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We love but he, you. He, <laughs> but that's what I love about Eddie. If he Eddie. looks like Stewart. Tell him to put the uh, kiss makeup on. Um, <laughs> Eddie's like me. Like you know, I don't look like a rock star. Neither does Eddie. But we just love that kind of music. Well, you know what? It's so true because. You know, when people would see what I look like, they'd be disappointed. I mean, you know, when you listen to a guy on the radio, you don't know. Richard and I were talking about Metallica earlier on. And, uh, you know, the one of the things, too, that you love about Metallica, they're coming in today in about an hour or so. But the thing that you loved about them, when they started out, like, they looked like dirtbags. I mean, they looked like mm-hmm. us. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, like, Ripped like jeans. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like, even like James looked like he had zits and shit. He, like, it was cool. Like, he, he yeah. didn't look like a rock star. I think that was part of the appeal, too. Not only were they masterful musicians, but they there was no like sort of, their fans. Yeah. 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 They didn't have any, you know, like, they didn't, and they, they started were, out in, they started out in LA in the eighties when the bit thing was big hair and makeup, right. spandex. And, yeah, and they got the hell out of L.A. because they hated that stuff, <laughs> and they moved to San Francisco because the, the thrash metal scene was starting in San Francisco. But don't you think that's what's so great about them, that they never yes. buckled? Like, they never, yes. like, they could have said to themselves, listen, dudes, if we put on some costume like Rat or, like, um, like uh, I don't know, like Motley Crue, Poison, Crew, there's Poison, Poison. Yeah, yeah. Well, any of those yeah. bands. Which I love those bands, too, but yeah. Yeah, but but I mean, like, if we do that, maybe we'll be on MTV, and maybe we'll get famous, and maybe our music will sell more. They, ne- they just are like, fuck this, we're not going to do yeah. it. Yeah, you yeah won't, they, they won't, went through they, that they Hollywood machine that turns never. out, you know, those guys. Yeah, you they won't find an old, embarrassing photo of Metallica. Like, no. they were no. always cool. They won't, they will not compromise. And that's what was so cool about them. Anyway, we'll get to that later in the show. But I can't uh, fucking wait for that, Howard. This, this is like my Christmas. Eddie uh, Trunk. Metallica coming I know. Out. They're going to do a couple of tunes, too. It's going to oh, be interesting. so fucking psyched. One of the tunes they're going to do, because I talked to their management. And I love, you know, Metallica does covers. You know, they, they'll, they'll do them. And I'm going to ask them why, you know, how do they pick covers to do. But. They're going to do uh, Turn the Page, which I, oh, love. I love that one. Amazing. And by the way, their version is, how often does the, their, their version is better than Bob Seger's version? Let's be honest. It blows it I away. Mean, it's amazing. It blows it away. First of all, no saxophone in fucking Metallica's version. It's, <laughs> you know, the, the, when, it, you know when, when Turn the Page, they start with that saxophone bullshit. Right. Yeah. And it's like when, when Metallica did it, they didn't bring in a saxophone. This ain't, <laughs> this ain't a Kenny G concert, pal. Yeah, no. They yeah. stick a saxophone up somebody's ass. <laughs> right. Kirk does a lead on that, that, you know, where the saxophone's supposed to be, which is really excellent. But um, they're going to do Turn the Page. And do you guys remember that video? Um, yeah. They, they, first of all, very few people saw it because MTV banned it. It was the porn star Ginger Lynn. Yes, Ginger Lynn, oh, one of the greatest of all time. 
I got to remember to ask Metallica when they come in later about that video because it was very cool. Ginger, li- they changed the whole meaning of that song with that video. They, they, you know, to me, Turn the Page was always about going on the road and uh, playing music and missing home. Right. When they did it, it was about Turn the Page was about being a hooker and a stripper and having to make money for your family. And remember, she gets beaten up at the end of that thing. And yeah. She, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fucking dark. And MTV told them, no way, we're not playing it. So no one ever saw it. And still the fucking song was a huge hit. Yeah. That's what I mean about not compromising. Well, I they, don't know. That's, I, most bands wouldn't do that. They would yeah. have remade the video. Yep. They uh, almost started out as a cover band. They used to cover bands from England that nobody in the U.S. knew, and people thought it was their songs. And they ended up like covering bands like Diamond Head and Merciful Fate. And now these guys get massive royalties from Metallica covering their songs. So yeah. it's like, man, if Metallica covers your song, you can put uh-huh. a kid through college. <laughs> Liza. Hi. In- How you doing, Hi. Howard? All right, honey. I, I just first time caller, long time listener. Love you guys. Um, I just wanted to tell you we have a school called Mojo's, and uh, we have seventy year old kids that are learning Metallica songs, drummers, bass players, guitar players, to being exposed to good music. Because Mojo was a was is a space cat. He came down from the planet Earth and he heard the music and he was like, "What the fuck's going on here?" So we. What the fuck are you on, Liza? Look, honey, <laughs> slow down, baby. I'm sorry. Mojo to Space Cat. What the hell? You th- they're letting you around kids? What's that? <laughs> I said you sound like you're on meth. Calm down a second. No, I'm not on meth. I'm just excited. I didn't. I never right. thought I'd get through. Liza, what, what I'm Mojo saying is. Mojo is the name of App Store. All right, listen to me. What? Is this, okay, go ahead. Is this Liza Minnelli, the famous? Uh, no. No. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 No. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> you you might have got into mommy's pills. Now, no, I'm sorry. I'm just excited, and I wanted okay. to try to get. I'm it just. All well, in. hold I on. I'm. I'm, I'm I want to understand what you're saying. First of all, I'm just busting your balls. But um, in all are. seriousness, the fact if you're teaching kids music and you're exposing them to Metallica. I can't imagine how kids could play that. It, I mean, especially some of it's those. Amazing. And, it's amazing. It's amazing. Some of these kids. We have such great teachers. And 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 what happened is that show Stranger Things had. had yeah. I don't know if you, you watched it. But Master it, of Puppets. It, it, these kids are like, yeah, that they're, they're like, we love this band. What is this band? Can we learn these songs? And then they're doing it. I mean, we help them, of course. The teachers Very help good, them Liza. play some of the parts too. But it's great. All right, I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying. All right, thank you. Howard, you know what Metallica announced this week that they're doing for school kids? It's really, really awesome. They're doing this contest for marching bands, like high school marching bands and college marching bands. That's awesome. And they they play, they'll, you can get the sheet music and play these Metallica songs. And if you win, you get like instruments and I think cash prizes. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Liza. You know, I was thinking about that. I only wish I had gone to a music school and they like made me play Metallica music on the guitar. Can you imagine? Oh, we don't make them. We don't make them. I mean, no, I needed to be made to do it. I need to be forced to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Then this still isn't a school for you. No, I need it. But they're learning music. 
And it's, All right, baby. Uh, and I'm glad you let me talk to you today. And I love you guys. Love you, Rob. And you make me laugh. Thank you for all, all the right, laugh. Liza. Have a Thank great you. day. All right. All right Sounds bye-bye. like the school of rock. Mojo. Here's a Mojo the Cat, everyone. <laughs> yeah, here's a, here's a Lisa who works with kids, too. Go uh, ahead, Lisa. Hey, Howard. Uh, we love Metallica. I work with kids, and there was a monkey who came from Mars, and he loved music, too. <laughs> <laughs> you say he has a monkey from Mars? Yeah, his name was Kojo. Uh, the moon and the moon talks to me. It's made of cheese. <laughs> I play tambourine with my feet. <laughs> I know a polar bear from Uranus. <laughs> my brain, my brain, my brain is full of spiders. <laughs> I gotta catch them. <laughs> I can talk to God through my microwave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, honey, you shot out of a cannon. Uh, speaking of shot out of a cannon, good morning, Mark Wahlberg, the famous movie oh. actor. How are you, sir? Yeah, how you doing, Howard? I'm pretty pumped about today. You know, I oh. pumped to Metallica. You know, that's the only thing that gets I me where know. I need to be. You work out to Metallica music. I, did, I listen yeah, to right, the old I days. Do. I did, too. I did, too. But now I can't pump oh, yeah. iron. But, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm listening to Master of Puppets right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Master. Wow. Who's the What master? are you benching? Are you benching or are you squatting? I'm benching 295 right now. Uh-huh. With my fucking master dick, of Howard. What I'm is that? Was you, that was dick. my dad? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey, you want to know my favorite four, top four bands? Here Go it goes. Number one, Metallica. Number two, oh shit, Metallica. Almost didn't get that one up. Number three, me singing Metallica. And number four, that Dropkick Murphy song from The Departed. But just a bagpipe. <laughs> wow. Great song. You're a real fan. You're a real fan. Oh, my God. Well, uh, oh, my God. I'm going to fucking come right now. Listen I'm going to let you... Oh. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Have you ever squatted so much weight that you shit your pants? All the time. It's the only way to squat. If you're not shitting your pants when you're squatting, you're doing it for fucking long. <laughs> Have you ever squatted? What? When you squatted a lot of weight and you're down there on the ground, has the shit ever like even like hit the floor like through the bottom of your pant leg? Yeah, of course. It rolls right down my leg. Once it hits my foot, I know my set's over. <laughs> wow. Thought so. All right. Take it easy, Mark. Oh, never. All right. Don't, I mean, don't take it easy. That's right, Howard. I'll never take it easy. That guy is ripped. I mean, uh, he, he works out every day early. Every day. What do you want, Ralph? You're shot out of a cannon. What's up with you? Hey, now. Hey, you know, you were asking about Eddie Trunk. I've known him for years, and he's got a real interesting story. He used to work at this uh, record store in the mall. It had nothing to do with radio, but uh, Mm. it was a local radio station around there, WDHA. And they came in because they were doing a metal show every weekend, and they needed a guy who knew metal. And he would come in and do heavy metal news. He did the metal news at midnight or something. And uh, he just got really good on the air and just knew his shit. And then he got his own show and just really progressed from there. It's See, that's good. why my dad told me not to go into radio. My father would say, <laughs> you're, you're going mall. into a business where a guy from the mall can go on the air. <laughs> right. And he was right. I mean, it was like like I was struggling to get a radio job. And he goes, I know this garbage man can walk in and get an yeah. announcing job. 
I was I like, don't leave me alone. He didn't go yeah. to college. Yeah. He, just he was working in the mall with Ralph. And Eddie was one of the first people to play Metallica on the radio, like way back in 1983. The guy from go. their record label brought the record to Eddie's show and begged him to play it. Um, jump in the fire All from right. Metallica. My, but what, what, what am I here? The, the Eddie Trunk it's historian? The Eddie Trunk hour, right? <laughs> well, Ralph was talking about Eddie, Eddie Trunk. Trunk. Sorry. Yeah. I'm a fan. I'm why don't you go work, to, you go work for Eddie Trunk? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm just I love working to, for you, Howard. Pr prank call some record stores for Eddie Trunk, Richard. <laughs> yeah. I'm listening to what Eddie Trunk did with a record store job and thinking about Gary. You know, <laughs> Gary works at the record store. And what do you think this is? Trunk 100? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of music, I got other news. This, uh, this is a great story. I, I was talking about Afro Man. And, uh, you know, remember the guy, again, I'm just uh, updating people who don't remember the story. I did it a couple of weeks ago. But Afro Man, uh, he had a huge hit 23 years ago. Was it only 23 years? I mean, I mean, Wow. 23 years seems like a long time ago. That's what I mean. I, the, the song, Because I Got High. I was going to clean my room until I got high. <laughs> anyway, I was you remember this song. Find the broom, but then I got then high. I got high. Uh, la, da, my room da, da, da. is still messed up. And I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. So Afro Man is being sued by the police department that raided his home. Remember I told you his home got right. raided? Afro Man took the surveillance footage. You know, you know, people have these cameras on their homes. Uh -huh. So or whatever it is, or it is some kind of footage that police released. I don't know who had the footage, but he used it in a video because he made us after the police knocked down his door when he got raided. Uh -huh. He wrote a song, Will You Help Me Repair My Door? And then he used the video footage of the cops. And uh, now the that cops got right. pissed. <laughs> Evidently, I guess you can't use, you know, somebody's face without their permission. Will you help me repair my gate? His gate. Will you help me repair my door? The gate and the door. Did you find what you was looking for? It's so great. This guy turns anything into a hit, you know. Anyway, it was Afro Man's home camera footage of the police that was turned into a music video. And the view, the, the video and the song got about five and a half million views on YouTube. So it was, Wonderful you know, well for Afro Man. And so now the police are saying, listen, you can't use our face in your video. We didn't give you permission for that. So they're yeah. suing him. So the guy's called Afro Man, and Afro Man is saying the lawsuit has been great for business. That, <laughs> like it's now that he's being Everything sued by the, the police, police due to him yeah. uh, causes him to increase his business. <laughs> it's kind of like Trump, you know, like Trump's going around saying this is great. If you guys uh, put me in jail, it's better somehow. But uh, anyway, here's Afro Man's words. I have seen a bigger increase in the music videos and the uh, the numbers on the social medias. Merchandise has went up. You know what I mean? You know, like um, 
before they filed the lawsuit, nobody wanted to talk to me. You know, they filed a lawsuit. You know, I'm back. I'm back with my good friend Howard Stern. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Afro man. <laughs> so in true, this is so great. In true Afro man fashion, the interview didn't get off to like a great start because he was high. Like Afro man but had yeah, to pull it together. It right there. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Afro man. So can you explain? what the Adams County Sheriff's suit against you is and, you know, what you're thinking of, you know, as a defense, basically. And then do you have any plan to counter sue? Yes. Um, all right. One more question. Hit me one more time. I just smoked a blunt. Dude. <laughs> I'm like, this is what I think I got. Something okay. One more time. Because <laughs> he got high. There you go. I do love that song. It's, it's perfect. So, it's so great. I was gonna clean my room. Sounds like it was recorded like on somebody's home deck, you know, like it's just I was gonna get up and find even sounds like is that a drum machine? Uh, yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hit. Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. But he was high when he recorded it. Anyway, that's what's going on. Hey, let me... Um, I'm trying to think about the legalities here. Right. If he shot the footage with his own camera, it belongs to him. Does he really need somebody's permission to show their faces? He didn't ask him to break into his house and mess up I don't know. his door. <laughs> If anyone knows of the law, it's the police. They must be <laughs> onto something. They probably check with somebody on the law. Oh man! Uh, <clears throat> oh, gee whiz! What was that? What was that? Mm -hmm. It was Are last you night's dinner. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, anyway, here we go again. Believe me, I wish I, you know, I'm, I'm so jacked up to see Metallica. I wish I could be a great musician. That, that would be the ultimate in life, to be a rock star. But then you wouldn't yeah. be interviewing Metallica. You'd be out mm. doing your musician thing, right? Being interviewed. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I'd be with my groupies. <laughs> I'd be fucking right now. This early in the morning. Wouldn't even know anyone's name. I'd be fucking. Well, that's how you wake up. Somebody, yeah. uh, you have a fuck alarm. <laughs> I used to dream that one day I'd grow up to be an imbecile savant and be able to play the guitar. But I wasn't blessed being an imbecile savant. I was just an imbecile. So. Uh, Brandon, you're on in Ohio. This is uh, Brandon. Hey, Howard. How you doing? Hey, now. Hey, first time, long time. Hey, I was calling because that guy that called in said he waited at midnight with his buddies to buy that metallica black album started to listen to it and oh, that was just a stupid there. phone call what are you gonna do what do you want to, what do you want to tell me well i just think that you know that was very much like what kid rock did right with the bud light buying it and then shooting it up still gave metallica his money but the bands evolved i mean those guys have innovated they grew with their music and their fans have grown up too i've seen them like 51 times just an awesome band. Looking forward to it. So that's all, man. Yeah. I just wanted to chime in. That. 
Well, there you go. 51 times. I've seen him uh, live three times. But you got me beat on that one. 51 times. Well, don't you always wonder about people who say they love an artist, but they don't want the artist to grow and continue to break new ground and discover new things about music? Preston, you're on the air in Kentucky. Hey, now. Hey, now. Uh, I have a... Uh, I'm just a huge Metallica fan, and I actually got to meet um, everybody but James. Um, I was in a club in London a few years ago, and there was this dude bouncing off the walls, and I recognized him, but I couldn't place him. Um, it turned out it was uh, Rob, the bass player. Um, he looked <laughs> he looked like uh, one of those guys uh, that Jackie Chan beats up in, in the martial arts movies, but... Um, I'm standing at the bar and Kirk walks up and ordered a glass of champagne and he didn't know whose tab to put it on. So I, I got it for him and we ended up talking for like 45 minutes and he's like, man, I, you got to meet Lars. Um, he fell in love with a girl from Louisville uh, years ago. And I press it. I got to go. What? It sounds like a great night. You met uh, Metallica. Okay. Where yeah, were man. we going? We were going through the whole night, I guess. Okay. <laughs> it started out kind of cool. He was in a club, from what I could ascertain, and uh, he saw, all of a sudden, he saw Rob, the bass player. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, then he had to throw in that he looked like some guy who got beaten up by Jackie Chan. I don't understand that reference. Then, I, I don't watch a lot of Jackie Chan movies. I didn't know he was beating up Rob all the time. <laughs> and then suddenly, Kirk was at the bar, and needed he kirk couldn't figure out how to pay for his glass of champagne but this guy came to the rescue and bought kirk his champagne and then poor kirk had to talk to him for 45 minutes yeah would now he the guy rather him, have ponied up for the champagne <laughs> my first question to kirk will be kirk why didn't you just pay for your own champagne so you didn't have to talk to that guy i couldn't talk to him for more than a minute i was ready to hang up the phone <laughs> could he have talked to this guy about for 45 minutes and then Kirk was smart. He goes, you know what? I can't get rid of this guy. You should go talk to Lars. <laughs> somehow Lars? We, we were up Take to the part of the hand. story where Kirk pawned off Lars. Pawned off, <laughs> pa pawned, <laughs> pawned off this guy on Lars. Wow. I like that. Uh, I like that he was looking for someone to pay for the drink. Like he can't afford it. That's a crazy part of the story. Yeah, I don't get that at all. Right? It's crazy. Anyway. But I was uh, really asking, don't you want an artist to grow? Don't you want to grow with the artist? Don't you want to see where else they can go and what else they can do when they interest you right from the very beginning? Absolutely. Aren't A lot you of, glad um, you have all the Beatles music, not just the first bunch? By the way, uh, a lot of people wrote in, Robin, about Marianne from Brooklyn calling in to tell me that her husband had approved of me fucking her. That I was. I her wondered pass. if that was going to get a reaction. You got a big reaction. Of course, when we listened to the tape of Marianne's husband, uh, it was pretty convincing that he hadn't said yes to me fucking her. How could she have thought he said yes? Because she, she heard what she wanted to hear. <laughs> Howard, Marianne is very full of shit. There was no permission from her husband. Poor guy. 
Howard, I loved how fast Beth shut down the whole thing. Howard, Marianne gets Marianne gets Howard as a hall pass. Beth should get a hall pass in exchange and have Nick Cannon. <laughs> no, that ain't happening. Oh my God. <laughs> Are you crazy? With his nine inches? That and then be you'll be raising his son, his, another child. <laughs> you'll be co-parenting with Nick. Mike Perlman followed up with Marianne about uh, this whole thing. Turns out I, eh, that we were right, that her husband never consented. But Marianne doesn't care. She liked the whole thing yesterday, talking about me fucking Did your her. husband hear what happened today? No, but I told him. And how do you react? He thinks I'm delusional, too. He, he remembered the exact conversation, but I thought it was a definite yes. I thought it was a yes, but the fact that Howard even entertained it and spoke to me about it, I feel like I already got my whole pass. Now, is this something that's going to stay with you forever? Having, of course. You, know, you almost had phone sex with Howard Stern for... for I had no. phone sex. Don't say almost. I had phone sex, and I'm on a fucking Howard High. I'm on that yeah. biggest Howard High ever, and I can't believe we had this actual conversation on air when usually he hangs up on me before I get the next sentence out. What was your favorite part of the conversation? When he said that he was asking me what I should do to him and that it would really happen and he would be in a room with me, and it was going to sound like it was really going to happen. Happen. And you're very turned on. Very, extremely. The fact that I was on, 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 on in a conversation. Finally, the conversation did it for me. Oh, All right, I need. <laughs> there you go. But it was a pretty sexy conversation yesterday. With, uh, from what I remembered of it, Marianne was playing with my balls and blowing me, and uh, and then I put it in little bit at a time as i pointed out there isn't that much to teaser with I mean, once, <laughs> once i get the head in i mean i maybe i got an inch or two i could play around with there you know i like it when high pitch called in as her husband yeah. <laughs> i gotta admit high pitch was very good as mr brooklyn <laughs> any further discussion marianne with your husband about the whole all pass thing yeah, we had a discussion, and he said, I'm delusional as well. He goes, I didn't say it for sure. I said, well, it sounded like when you said Howard Stern, would that be the only person? To me, that was an automatic yes. You know how my brain works. Anything right. Howard is like crazy. But, Howard, did you bring Beth, like, a big-ass bouquet of uh, roses to get that she got you off the hook yesterday? <laughs> and it was a flat-out no? No. I mean, she... I asked her, do, do I have a hall pass to fuck Marianne? Because it would be a good bit for when we go to Miami. And then uh, she said, uh, well, what did you want me to say? Yes. I go, no, 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 no. You know. <laughs> so anyway, it worked out fine. You know what, Howard? It was just like it happened. It was so great just having the conversation with you. It, it was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I want you to know how much joy you bring me. Do you know how much? I don't know, oh, do I you know. know how much you bring me. I do. I know. Do really I know. And you know, in fact, uh, a lot of people, I, Marianne didn't want to say this, but last night in honor of this fantasy, she pleasured herself with a two-inch dildo while thinking about me. A two-inch. Uh, two-incher, a full two <laughs> inches, just to see what it would be like to be with me. You're well, the fantasy... It's all in my mind. It just happens in my mind. I don't need paraphernalia. Nice. All I got to do is... All right. <laughs> hey, Brenda. Brenda's in Florida. What's up? Hey, Howard. Hi. Uh, see what's up? I called. To, I called to tell you. Uh, I've got a dilemma. 
about my sex life. Um, I'm older than you think. Um, I, 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 what do you mean I, you're I'm older uh, than older. I think? I wasn't thinking you how old you were. But how old are you? 79. Oh, yeah. 79. <laughs> 79. But I'm a very young 79. That's just the number, Howard. You know, I actually thought you were 102, so I, you are younger than I thought. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, can so I, Brenda, how can I help older. you? Uh, what? I said, I'm an older straight woman. I still have an active sex life. Really? Yes. You still get wet? Don't you know that a woman's passion gets stronger as they get older? Do you know Robin 79 is the new 69? Did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to do 79. Brenda, are you, when you say you still have an active sex life, you have a husband? Yes. I see. And the well, two of you have sex how often? Uh, oh, once or twice a week. Wow. That's a surprising it's, amount it's, of sex. He's, he's 75, and, and he's unable to get a real good erection anymore. But mm. uh, I still get horny as if I was 25. And... um we play around and, and we use toys and dildos. And Let me just ask you a couple of quick questions because I don't want to run out of time okay. here. Can you still do all the positions or is your arthritis uh, keeping you from that? <laughs> I don't have arthritis. <laughs> You're able to get on all fours? I can do pretty much all the positions. Yeah. What, what, yeah. How many positions? Like you, you obviously missionary. Then um, like, can you get on your knees and blow your husband? Oh, yeah. For you, no problem. he likes oh, to tie no. me up. Tie you he, up. He likes to have rough sex. Rough? Yeah, sex? he ties me up sometimes. He he he's a, mm. he likes kind of rough sex, and it's all you know good. Do you eat your husband's ass? But I have, yes. Wow, you're a player. Yeah. But when she says oh, rough yeah. sex, is he what? Is he spanking her, pulling hair? Absolutely. He's spanking oh, her. He, <laughs> like what is he, like, rip I off like your depends and just fucking <laughs> smack you in the ass? I've stoked through my depends. No, there's no depends involved. So how can I help you, Brenda? It sounds like you're doing yeah, just you fine. Yeah, you say you have a dilemma. I have a dilemma. I'm, I'm straight, I think. But the only way that I can have an orgasm is by watching lesbian porn. I yeah, have never up. in my life had an orgasm by having regular fucking intercourse. Huh. I think the G-spot is a myth. So you're telling me all the years you're with your husband... When he would maybe rub your vagina, you'd get an orgasm. But if he put his penis in you, you never had an orgasm. Is that correct? That's correct. If that's all I thought she died. Put his penis in me and fuck me. Then no, I have no orgas- orgasm. But all he right, thinks so, I do. 
Right. In other words, for all your marriage, you've been faking orgasm. Your husband puts it in you, and then at some point you go like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's it. Wow, that's kind of sad. And it, and the only thing you get off to is lesbian porn. You know, that's interesting too. And You know, it's a funny thing. I'm I'm into this lesbian porn too. I sometimes wonder about that. I I love watching lesbians. What does that like mean to you? you? That, that I don't I don't overanalyze it. I don't like seeing a guy's dick. Uh-huh. I don't like seeing um, when they're blowing the oh, guy. I don't I, yeah, seeing two women together gets I don't me. Get into that. It gets me jacked up. I, 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 what did I search the other day? Seduction lesbian porn. Mm. Seduction lesbian porn. I came up with some interesting uh, videos. It was a very uh, a girl who was a reluctant lesbian. That turns me on. <laughs> like they don't. But they you know not what? Sure. Yeah. The the thought of actually having sex with another woman doesn't do a thing to me. I don't want to have sex with another woman. I just like to watch them. Wonder why when your old man I is putting his dick in you, you're not coming. Woman. I don't understand that. Well, there there was a, a few times when he would like lay on his back, and I would like straddle his face and he would just barely uh put his tongue on me on my foot and and i would come Hmm. and then he said sometimes i would squirt but i thought i was just peeing (laughs) yeah well you know you're an older lady you probably uh probably couldn't control your urine this is happening when we were younger Imagine that your wife sitting on your face. She starts pissing on your face, and you're like, "What the <laughs> fuck yeah, is going see? on?" I, mean, I I don't I don't I don't believe it was squirting. I, I've seen I've seen videos of squirting, and I think it's just piss. All the years I've been working here, I never saw Fred vomit before, but he just puked uh, when you said that. Um, Mildred is on the phone. <laughs> She's uh, she likes uh, lesbian videos too. Hi, Mildred. How old are you? Hi, I'm 82, and this chick sounds hot. If you want to go full lesbian with me, I'll take off my Japans and piss on your face. <laughs> wow. That's very yeah. kind of you, Mildred, but... <laughs> I you sound hot. We can fuck to Lawrence Welk. <laughs> and then I'll take my I'll take the tennis balls off my walker and r- rub them all over your clit wow this is wild <laughs> it is wild it's dirty to me but, you know older women older women just like older men like well, sex let me tell you this is how I just installed safety bars in my shower. Let's go in my shower. And you can <laughs> you can you can part my gray hairs. Right. So you're you're advocating you would like to try having sex with Brenda, ma'am, and you want to um have her part your hairs. Yes, because I get turned on by lesbian. If we can go lesbian, 
I have a hand-cranked vibrator we can try out. Yeah. <laughs> That's like one of the original vibrators. Wow. It's steam-powered. <laughs> I have to pedal it like a tricycle. <laughs> All right, ladies. Well, uh, maybe... Let me ask I've you something, ma'am. Three times. Oh, my God. That's so hot. I've been married three times, and none of the husbands ever gave me an orgasm. Wow. Mm. I mean, it makes you squirt so hard, you shit. <laughs> right. Your pussy is so wise. I want to suck it like a, a Werther's original candy. All right, uh, girls. Yeah, uh, I'm well, cute. All right. Thank come you, on, Brenda. Talk dirty to me. You, <laughs> come on. Be slutty. I want to, I'm about to come. I'm wondering come, what come. Howard. Excuse me, Mildred. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Uh, I'm about I'm to come. Ah. Uh, if I might be bisexual. Oh, yeah. You're bisexual. All right. Brenda, <laughs> listen, I don't know what you are. Um... Maybe, I don't uh, really think she has a dilemma. She's been perfectly satisfied with her sex life all of her life, even though she only comes one way. And she doesn't really have any desire to have sex with a woman. Right. Because if you want to have sex with a woman, woman, maybe you could have a threesome with your husband. Uh, I think I could, I could go a threesome. With a you know yeah. with another woman and a man involved. Let me ask you something. I mean, how do you how do you look, Brenda? I mean, are you like real old looking? Like, do you like do you have um like crepey skin? You know, like old people's skin. No, no, I've taken care great care of my skin all my life. Like I when you lift up your arms, when you lift up your arms, does like the skin start flapping back and forth? No. Hmm. No. I have, I have big boobs, and they're, but they're not as perky as they used to be. Do they hit but your knees? You put on a bra. <laughs> I'm sorry. How low do they go? Those tits. How how, how low do they go? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's see. About one or two, three ribs down. Yeah. I've seen those kind of titties. Do you have uh, yeah. varicose veins? No. No. Okay. I have really great legs. Wow. They've always been my asset. What do you wear and to the I beach? Her <laughs> liver spots. Uh, I don't wear a bikini like I used to. Uh-huh. And I don't wear one of those things with a skirt on it. Uh, I like those personally. I like when uh, a young you lady like a comes. Skirt? <laughs> I like a nice skirt. My mom used to wear a skirt to the beach, and uh, was good. It covered up all the hair on. Uh, <laughs> she had quite a big bush. <laughs> oh, I don't have any hair. My mom would hair. show up at a pool. She'd have the bathing suit with the skirt, and then she had a rubber bathing help uh, hat with like um, fl- oh. rubber flowers on it. <laughs> I go, mom, yeah, and even still, I'd have to tell her, mom, tuck your labias in. Christ's sake. <laughs> People are talking. <laughs> All right, Brenda, Holy. listen, I think Robin's right. You don't really have a problem. You know, look, so your husband sticks it in. You don't come, but uh, it sounds like you're, you know, you've got a pretty and active he's, sex he's life. perfectly happy with me having orgasms while watching lesbian porn. He thinks it's great. Yeah, sure. 
Hey, listen, that's a party. I love all that. You know, I give him head, and I can get it up uh, enough to give him head, and, you know, he really enjoys it, and he, he's tickled to death when I have an orgasm. What do you do? Do you take your teeth out when you blow them? <laughs> I don't I have so my own teeth. I you have got your own teeth. teeth. All right. Yeah. That's good. So insulting. How <laughs> dare you? I'm not trying to insult you the woman. Me on your way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brenda. I've Sounds got good to me. Hair. Okay. Shave. He hasn't well, asked for one picture. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see a picture. I mean, what happened? If you're so great in bed and you look so hot, what happened to your first two husbands? Well, my first husband, he kind of liked to beat up on me. Oh, that's no good. And so I had to kick him to the curb. Right. And uh, my second husband, he he was like jealous, possessive, Mm. all those things. He wasn't physically violent to me, but I pulled a knife on him one time to get him away from me. Nice. Mm. Uh, Yeah. I always uh, said to my mom, you should pull a knife on Ed. I mean, <laughs> if he I'm comes at, near you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, she goes, no, 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 that's okay. I like him. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have to defend yourself, you know. Yeah, no, you really know how to pick them. I'll tell you that, Brenda. I'll tell you uh, that. This, this husband I'm living with is actually uh, an, an ex-husband. It's not the one that beat on me, but. I'm living with my ex-husband. Yeah. The, the one you guy. pulled a knife on. Yeah. Yeah, Robin. No. That guy. <laughs> that was. No. All right. Brenda, all right. Listen, I think the Alzheimer's kicking in because <laughs> you just said your ex-husband pulled a knife. You had to pull a knife and then you're living with him, but he's not the guy with the knife. I, I can't follow all this. I got to go, Brenda. Okay. Okay, honey. All right, it's sweetheart. You sound great. Pleasure talking to you. Pleasure talking to you. When's your 80th? When's, when's your 80th birthday? We want to celebrate. Oh, I just turned 79 April 3rd. Nice. Okay. okay. Happy, uh, <laughs> fucking. Okay. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. My kind Bye-bye. of gal. <laughs> I want you to ram your hard meat into my throbbing cunt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, my gums. <laughs> I love the taste of ball juice. Yes. What? So ball, ball juice? Ball juice. Robin, come on. <laughs> I love the taste of ball juice. <laughs> no, woman had no teeth. Okay. Well, now it's great. Now I have to interview Metallica with a big boner after that phone call. <laughs> I'm all sexed up. Speaking of sex, do I have enough time? Hey, to, boner. I, guess I don't. I was going to play you this internet radio show that uh, what I call the unsexy sex podcast. This couple, they have sex on the radio. Yeah. I, I wonder if I could squeeze this in. I, it's called the Lacey and Flynn Have Sex Show podcast. Features a married couple who record themselves having sex live to tape. I mean, that sounds like it should be hot, right? But I, I'll tell right. you what, it, it was not that hot. I listened to this and <laughs> kind of like that last call. How did they mess it up? 
Lacey and Flynn claim to be sex coaches, from what I could tell. And then they talk over their sex sessions so the listeners can learn from them. But the talking really ruins the mood. Oh. You know, uh, this is the very first episode. And they started listing a bunch of their wellness treatments, including Flynn flushing out his intestines. And that's not that sexy. We've done the bioresonance, oh, yeah. magnet therapy. We've been doing Lomi Lomi massage, like full mm. body, deep massage of every part of you. We've been seeing, you uh, know, our homeopath. And of course, you've been like actually deeply cleansing on a physiological level. Like you've been, you know, shitting out the the stuff that's been caked into your body. Yeah. My shit was black. Yeah, it was. And you know what? Now your shit smells amazing. Like all of a sudden yeah. your shit smells like. My shit oh. don't stink. It doesn't. It smells like someone maybe farted in the room like 15 minutes before. Mm. It's extraordinary. Your body is becoming this purified temple. It, nothing like wow. a big buildup about shitting before you have sex. These two are. Anyway, so in a recent episode, they demonstrate how to do an afternoon quickie with your partner. Okay. Should be easy and fun, but Lacey kept giving Flynn very precise instructions for banging her. And I got to tell you, again, it wasn't that sexy. How's that now? It's, it's loosening. It's, it's softening. So it's an internal tension that manifests as a sharp feeling if you penetrate too swiftly in the final thrust where the head of your cock gets closest to my cervix. And it's a pain in my low left abdomen. Sounds like they're trying to land an airplane, not have sex. I mean, it's fucking crazy. But if I soften my jaw right now, yeah, thank you. That feels really good. So Flynn's just put his hand to touch my low left abdomen. And if, you, if I soften my jaw and I soften my knees, actually, that helped as well. Yeah. Oh. 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 But now I feel like you're, now I feel your excitement. And like, even though it's not changed, I feel scared that you're going to start like thumping now. Mm. So then I, then my body retracts again. Jesus. Brain surgery is less complicated than getting this woman off. Robin, what's the opposite of chubbing up? Because my dick is like kind of, it's going inverted. It's inverting. <laughs> yeah. So then Lacey and Flynn did a whole show focused on the male orgasm. And Lacey ended up kind of yelling at Flynn about his dick being soft. And that, you know, that's kind of not nice. I think. Okay, so what I want to happen now is I want you to get hard and I want to have sex with you. So I'm going to need you to be quiet for a minute and I'm going to need you to feel your cock. Can you do that? I can do that. Good. What a boss. Be conflicted because you said stay quiet, but. <laughs> I don't want you to lose your. People can't. I don't want you to lose your erection. No, I know. I just want to say hard. that Lacey's sitting on me and she's tugging my cock and it feels really nice. Actually, feels a lot more real. Than You're it. losing it as soon as you stop, ta stop talking. Yeah, I'm working hard for this. Shut the fuck up, you asshole. Jesus Christ. Uh. Who would want to have sex with her? <laughs> feel your this cock. is some show. I can feel it. Okay, you have to put your microphone down. Okay, sorry, sorry. Oh, insulting the penis isn't going to make him any harder, lady. Just shut up. I don't have to put my mic down. I've got to get loud. embodied. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> 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 Poor bastard. You can't have this episode be more than 20 minutes, so you need to get in the fucking zone. Mm. 
He moans like a woman. I don't know, but I'm going to throw I don't make any sexy. By the way, ladies, when you have sex with me, I'm silent as a as a a, 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 a movie made in the 1920s. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't start moaning. I'm, uh, uh. Uh. <laughs> no, I'm super masculine in the bedroom. Anyway, there was a bunch of times she was yelling at him about his flaccid penis, and I didn't like it, but I, I put together a montage for your listening pleasure. This is her just getting upset. Okay, so one thing that happens is Flynn talks and he loses his boner, but I don't lose my boner when I talk. Do you, do you think you're losing no. your erection more often lately? No. Oh, that's feeling really good. I think maybe you just got like 25% less hard, and that's why. Now. Jeez, my penis is almost fucking... Your penis has gone inside out. It's like that yeah. time you surfed in eastern Canada in winter. I know. It's fucking any mate. What's something soft and floppy? Basically, I'm trying right. to mash it. It's I'm not trying to mash thing. a marshmallow into a keyhole. That's what's fucking <laughs> I'm happening right now. Marshm- a marshmallow into a keyhole, and yeah. it's just fucking smushed. Pretty sure this tape is grounds for divorce. <laughs> Sounds like his mom yelling at him anyway, uh... Oh, when Flynn finally was able to get hard and make Lacey orgasm, she ruins it with a long monologue about her pussy healing the world. And, you know, you shouldn't be able to talk through this. Oh, I finally fucking squirted there a bit. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, I just felt my fucking pussy healing the whole fucking world. Oh, my God. Your mouth was like a portal, and I just felt this fucking sex, this energy of love just fucking healing the whole world. Oh, my God, just cracked open. Fucking hell. (laughs) Oh, so it was through love that my pussy opened, and then through my You're not going to start doing a monologue after I bang you, are you? Fully expanded. This is way too much talking on her part. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then there was an episode about period sex, which you might not want to hear, but... The most confusing thing just happened. She's tugging on my cock really quite hard, whilst one of her fingers was really digging in and like felt like more of a cutting, lacerating type feeling. And then we both looked down, and then of course her period blood was on the inside of her leg and my cock and her fingers. So it looks like she just gashed the hell out of my cock. <laughs> looks like Flynn's penis has been massacred. Jesus Christ, these two. I think I'm done with sex after listening to it. <laughs> Had enough. Oh, there's, yeah, it's really red. Bleeding quite heavily right now. <laughs> jammy. <laughs> Very jammy. Raspberry ripple. I once went down on a woman and she didn't know she was having her period and I had I had I had like a clown face when it came up. <laughs> I'm not kidding, because I went in the bathroom to pee and I had like big red everywhere, and I was like, "Oh, oh Jesus my Christ!" Wow. Yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's Bozo. <laughs> big red nose. <laughs> anyway, you see what I mean about it's like not that sexy. It's like an unsexy, yeah, no. sexy. And yeah. her voice. I mean, she doesn't even. Uh, the voice doesn't soften. You know, she's not trying to sex him up. She's a, she's talking like a school teacher. 
I can't wait till he serves her divorce papers on that podcast. <laughs> hey, anyway, I'm excited. The boys are back in town. I'm talking about Metallica. What a band. What a bunch of guys. What fucking musicians. I did a half hour this morning on how good those guys are, and I'm always excited to talk to them and have a little rap about music, talk about the process, talk about what's going on. Should be fun. All right, let me take a little break and get set up for Metallica right after these words. One of the greatest rock bands that ever uh, lived was is Metallica, and they're here today. Look at these boys. Look at them. Motherfucker, I got to get in a band. I mean, look at these guys. <laughs> That's just unreal. How much longer are you going to wait, Howard? <laughs> I got I to get on. down. <laughs> you know, I know, I know you guys well enough now that I realize like, if I could play guitar, you would let me like jam with the band one time. And let me no get question. My, no I doubt know. about it. No, but no I'm such question. a douche. I just beat off all the time in all my extra hours instead of practicing, and uh, that's what it... Guys, it's almost the same thing. It is the same thing. It's almost the same thing. That's how we got fast at guitar. <laughs> you know, I I spent the whole night listening to Metallica music and just getting the vibe and the speed with which you guys play. I think I think the musicianship is just unbelievable. And... and, and um, I'll start with you, Lars. Like, w seriously, it's early in the morning in Los Angeles. In order to drum at the pace, like when I was listening to 72 Seasons, I'm talking about the title track. It's like, it's it's so fucking fast. It's, I'm, you know, it's fast. Yeah. What, what do you do to warm, like, what is the warm up on drums to get ready for a day like today? Um. Well, at this point in my life, it's uh, longer and longer, <laughs> and uh, it's more and more intense. Uh, we have Jeff Bass, who's uh, out there somewhere, and he's been massaging my shoulder and my back for the last 20, 30 minutes. Uh, for real? We did a... For real, yeah, yeah. No, he he's with us everywhere, and, um, you know, normally uh, I'm on a Peloton for 15, 20 minutes before we play, just to get the, the blood circulating and, and get just get fired up uh we're a little tight on space here so i i ran in place back in the room there instead of of jumping on the peloton but uh at this point when we were on uh on your buddy uh kimmel's uh, show a couple days ago taping the songs for this week it took me an hour and 15 to warm up and, what do you uh, do on the yeah, drum physically to warm up like what is the what is the exercise if i was a drummer and i wanted to be as good as you what would you recommend that I use as a warm up? Like, how do you hit those drums before you uh, before you take to the stage? <laughs> well, at this point, uh, for me, ninety five percent of it is just uh, is just the cardio and just right. getting everything, getting the body up to speed. And it's the same thing when we tour. Uh, when you see us on stage, we're about thirty minutes into playing. We meet in a, a tuning room backstage, and we all play and jam and warm up for about 30 minutes so when we play the first song in front of the audience we've been playing for about 30 minutes uh, so it just it starts kind of slow you're hitting the drums light you get into it and over the course of that 30 minutes it gets more and more physical you put more and more weight into it and by the time you're ready to go on stage you're 
playing at, you know, with all 12 cylinders or 24 cylinders, however many you want to take. <laughs> and James, when, when you're practicing the guitar, when you're a kid, I'm talking about when you first started getting into guitar, the speed I'm talking about. Now, what, what is it? How does one get that fast? And, 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 and in, in other words, how do you how do you get to that point? Is it just practicing stuff in slow motion over and over again? Are there scales that you do? It, it, the thousands of hours I imagine to get as good on guitar as you are. Uh, how do you how what is it you worked on? What is it you developed early on as a kid? Well, <clears throat> early on as as a kid was um, the, the the left hand finger placing once. Uh, once you know all the chords and can switch between them fast, uh, that's, that's kind of a, a big challenge at the beginning. Hitting the right string, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever one you're holding down is also a challenge. But once you get to the point of that and you're comfortable with all changing around, I mean, obviously we do a lot of bar chord stuff and you're not doing, you know, it's not like you're, you're playing the traditional D. I think this is a D. I don't even know all this stuff, but. What do you mean? You don't know you know, what a doing D chord is? stuff. It's but wait a second. You don't know what a D, you don't know what a D chord is. In other words, I, you don't, I do. you don't really know. I do. You do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, and, but, but and we, you never we've learned. got our own made up names for stuff too. But, um, we have the Ram chord, which is in a lot of our stuff, which is basically, what is that thing? The fifth? It's octave, a fourth. An octave with a fourth. Yeah, what he said. So instead of just a regular D, you're adding a low. Just wanted it to be as heavy as possible. That's all. Uh, and as how far did as you the figure out? Goes, how did you figure it out, though? How did you figure out when you say as heavy as possible? You're, you know, you're a kid. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. It, it was it by ear. You just kind of heard something in your head, and then you figured out how can I get that sound out of that guitar. Yeah, uh, how can I make it as heavy as possible? I mean, it's all Tony Iommi's fault, really. I mean, he's like the riff master. I think for most heavy metal guitar players, Tony Iommi is the king, uh, and the riffs that he did and the tuning down and all of that stuff came a little bit later, but. Uh, you know, when you don't know stuff, you make up your own stuff around it, which is cool. And you make up your own ways of doing it. Uh, so for us, yeah, hitting those. That was as heavy as we could go because we, we didn't know you could tune down. Um, and then as far as the speed goes, <clears throat> um, I would say Slayer was a, a big part of that. <laughs> uh, right. We were in competition with Slayer on... Who could be faster? And every album that would come out, you know, it's like, oh, they did this. Oh, we'll do this. And there was a lot of healthy competition in the old days as far as speed. And then we finally realized that, you know, that there's always going to be someone faster. So just make it good and better. Um, so what does it mean? Became less. <clears throat> I'm getting into the weeds here, though. But what does it mean that, first of all, they call you a rhythm guitarist? Now, I'm a novice. Mm. To me, when I watch you guys play, it doesn't look like you're playing rhythm guitar. It almost looks like you're doing a lead guitar thing because of something called down picking, which is what you're known for. You down pick. What are they talking about that you down pick? Yeah, down picking is basically um, <clears throat> instead of doing something uh, 
say it's fast and you're going like, you know, instead you're down picking, which this, uh, I mean, we all, we kind of considered it cheating if you were, you know, so for us, that was more, uh, Ramon style, more punk, more aggressive looking for sure, but it also sonically, it will stop the string in a different way so it sounds more precise and percussive. Instead of... I don't know if you can hear the difference. But yeah, I, I hear the can. difference. Yep. That's down picking. When you're just slamming down, you don't, you don't pick up. You pick down. You just keep hitting down on the same note like that. Yeah, the kind of the equivalent on a drum, right? If he's if he's you know going or you know hitting every beat with both hands, so I mean I am a frustrated drummer and always wanted to play drums, so that's really what I do on the guitar. I'm playing I'm playing drums on the guitar, but I get to do notes as well, which is really cool. So you know I want to be a drummer. Lars wants to be a singer, guitar player, so. That's why we get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when am I wrong? I said this this morning. Sometimes when you and Kirk are doing your thing, it almost reminds me of the Allman Brothers, the way Dwayne and Dickie used to like kind of sing together with their guitars. Does that does that make sense to you at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're singing on their guitars, no doubt about it. For me. <clears throat> harmony guitar has always been a beautiful thing you know even when i was a kid you know before guitar uh i took piano lessons for a couple of years as a, a, a elementary school kid and i my mom saw me like beating on the piano you know i was really basically trying to play drums on a piano <laughs> And so she put me into piano lessons, but there I learned voicings, different harmonies, things like that, playing left and right handed and singing at the same time. So I'm super grateful that she did put me into, you know, granny's house, <laughs> you know, doing this stuff that I didn't really want to do. You know, hey, these aren't songs that I want to learn. These aren't the songs that I like, but I, it did help me develop, uh, uh, like, um, a balance of, uh, you know, being able to do left and right stuff. I mean, similar to a drummer, you know? Um, so what was your question? Did you hate, <laughs> did you hate the piano in the sense that it just didn't look cool? It wasn't, uh, you know, it's not fun to sit at a piano and, and do, you know, Bach and, and all that crap that you have to learn at the beginning. It, probably the guitar, because it's like you saw bands and you saw guys with guitars that turned you on. The piano must have been torture. Oh, absolutely. Right. Well, me having an older brother, 10 years older than my, uh, than myself and 11 years older, I had two older brothers. Uh, my brother Dave had a, uh, a drum kit. He was in a, uh, a sixties rock band. Um, and he had a record collection. So there was musical equipment around all the time. There was music uh, available all the time so for me once i got into you know seeing the pictures of you know there's tony iomi or there's you know joe perry or whatever that was it i didn't you know you can't run around with the piano and look cool you know i wanted to wanted to play guitar uh and sing i i loved steven tyler and i loved joe perry i want ended up being both you know i don't How know if you... i want to sing or play guitar so i got to do both how do you no one has ever been able to explain this to me 
because I'm not a musician, but I don't understand how songwriters come up with a riff. You know, like one of your iconic riffs. You come up with a riff. How do you know what to sing over it? I always imagine like when Jimmy Page walked in and showed uh, Robert Plant like, um, I don't know, like the Rain song or like, like he started playing the iconic riff from Kashmir. Like, how do you put a tune mm. over a cool riff? And does it all start with the riff? Yes, it definitely starts with the riff. Um, <clears throat> for me as a vocalist, I try to insert where the guitar isn't at times. You know, we'll do, uh, you know, like Sandman, for instance. Then the verse is... You simplify the riff so the vocal has its place to jump around, you know. Um, there's also a lot of stuff vocally. You just, I just have to disconnect from what I think I need to do and let it come through me. Um, and but I want to understand technically. Kirk came up with that riff. I know I've read like three in the morning, Kirk. You're laying in bed. And you heard that Correct. kind of riff. And I know Lars then said to you, why don't you do this and this and this to the riff? But play the original riff, Kirk, that you came up with before you even showed it to James. That, so that literally, our is at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I played it like this. And Lars and says that was to you... That was original. I, and then he came I, up to me and said, repeat the first part three times and then play the chords afterwards or four times, whatever it is. <laughs> so I said, okay. I, I, but, but wait a second. Oh, wait, wait. How did Lars know to say that to you? Uh, Lars, what was it? What well, was it? You just, well, how does that work? There, what, there's a thing that we do with riffs is like sometimes we'll structure it where there'll, there'll be a, a repeating pattern for three times and, and then an answering part on the tail. Fourth. Yeah, tail. And basically so he complicated. was, he, he, yeah, he was, he was just morphing it into a workable, uh, sort of, uh, uh, workable form. I, I think it's in order to answer your question, and obviously we're getting way into the, 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 the weeds of it, which is cool because we have never done that. But you got to go back a little bit and you got to, you know, at some point you got to remember your influences and your inspirations. So the reason we're playing music, you know, Tony mentioned, uh, James mentioned Tony Iommi. We're all God, sitting Tony. here. We're all sitting here because of all the things that, you know, we all grew up on, you know, in my case, Deep Purple. In my case, Black Sabbath. In my case, you know, Thin Lizzy, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Kirk's got his own uh, arsenal of that. Robert UFO. And so when you say, how do you, how do you come up with that? Well, there are certain things that inspire you and certain things that you, you sort of, you start understanding, okay, a band called Diamond Head, they had these songs and the way that they structured their riffs and the way they repeated, you know, James used the word tail. They would have a melodic element to a riff and then a tail, but most of it was three and one. And so, so you said to the, Kirk, Kirk, go three and one on that. And then Kirk, what did you take from that? What did you start playing? I mean, it was really obvious. It's like. 
you hear the three and one in that? So yes. we call the back. The, the back one is the tail. The front one is, you know, whatever. Yeah. Three repeats and then a tail. And then you have a workable riff. So if you bring and that so, to James then, and, in, and you say, James, okay, so now Lars and I came up with a riff. James, is it your job to then figure out what to sing over that? Yeah. I mean, basically, you want to get a cycle together. So there's usually an intro. There's There's... Basically, an intro is a a section of it teasers of the main riff. You know the or however it is. You know, uh, and then you're then you build up to it. So you got the main riff, and obviously there's a verse that comes in. So usually that's kind of a simplified version of the riff. Then you got a B part and then you've got a chorus. So that's considered for us like a cycle verse, B part, chorus. Once you have that, then you have the parts to, to make the meal and then you can put them wherever you want. You know, Hey, we're going to have three verses. We're only going to have two verses. I mean, I know you're shaking your head. You're like, this is so complicated, but it but is it's because we're picking it apart. Yeah. It's yes, not but it's, complicated for us. Yes, but but, but, but you came up with that that the, the 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 lyric and the and the main part. Like I wouldn't know what to do if Kirk came to me with that riff. I just you know I just well it's I crazy. Mean, if I may, there's a little bit more. There's a you know at the beginning of a record in the case of Sandman, which is what we're on now. We had just come off. Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, and Injustice for All. And all three of those records kept getting longer. The songs kept getting longer and longer, more and more progressive, more and more changes. It got crazier and crazier. Some of the songs started hitting 10 minutes. We were out on tour, and we could feel that with some of those crazier songs, we were losing the audience. So after the Injustice for All album, we sat down and said, we got to reinvent the wheel just a little bit. And so when... It was time for the next record. We said, let's try to write some shorter songs to try to simplify. And then the battle cry for particular Enter Sandman, that was the first song out of that songwriting sessions in the summer of 1990. There was uh, maybe 20, 30 riffs that had been accumulated from the last uh, year or two since we did the Justice album. Uh, It usually falls on me to kind of sit down and weed through those riffs, try to, you know, figure out this is a riff we could write a song about. This is maybe more of a of a riff that lives in the middle of a song. This is something that's definitely a song, that type of stuff. So in the case of this riff that Kirk had, it was like, that sounds like something we could, that's the foundation of a song. So we took the riff, we molded it a little bit, made it, uh, in my mind, hookier by repeating that first line. And then James and I sat down in the studio at my house, and we said, like, let's try to write one song around one riff, which we had never done before. So the MO, the battle cry was one riff to the whole song. And then that riff gave birth to the picking that James was just playing, which was the intro. It gave, uh, gave birth to then the main riff. It gave birth to the verse riff where you heard James was down picking and still had the same tail. And then the bridge and the chorus also derived out of that, uh, derived out of that riff. And that's how we then came up with basically the simplest song we'd ever written, which was a direct answer to 
the last album, which was nine songs full of all these crazy, almost prog like, you know, song structures. So a lot of times the answer when you're trying to intellectualize it and, and explain it later and lies in where you come from before. Because I believe that everything in the universe in that way is connected to your previous actions, you know what I mean? So it's not like you just wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, there's Enter Sandman falling out of the sky. It's, right. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, just like everything in your world, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of prep that goes into it, a lot of, um, lingo we you know we we have our own words for things we we know each other this is what happens when you spend 10 20 30 40 years you you can sort of finish each other sentences you know if people come in and saw us right they would go like take that one and repeat that guy three times and then go to the halftime thing for the bring and then the chorus is a double guy and people are like what are you guys talking russian to each other they they don't really understand but to us it's just it's just the day-to-day -day lingo of how we you know put our stuff together and it's related to the the ten thousand hours thing that you were talking about before just putting your time in over the years yeah i mean i'm surprised what's really beautiful what's yeah, also ahead, really James. beautiful the fact that uh, Lars doesn't know how to play guitar, and he will arrange stuff, and he'll just say, hey, can't you do that thing in another key? Something that I wouldn't do, you know, like Sandman, for instance. Then change the key. It's like, I I wouldn't do that. I, I, I can't pick that. And then it'll be a challenge. It's like, okay, I can do that. So there's, there's a lot of... Um, pushing of each other you know same with like dr drum stuff too exactly yeah like james hey Nicole, can't yeah. you do this thing there and it's like i would never have thought of that and yes i can try that give me a day and i'll come back and it'll be worked yeah. out but uh, the main thing yeah. i mean the main thing thankfully with this bunch of guys is that when we go into a songwriting situation we leave, leave our egos outside and it's not uh, it's my guitar don't tell me what to play oh it's i'm the drummer you know you know, just stay away you know it's like james well how about this part how about that why don't you try it on the toms of course and i'll throw stuff back to james go why don't you try this try a different key why don't you play uh you know down pick it but instead of try to galloping it or try to go chugs instead of double picking or whatever and that there's that freedom because there's trust and when there's the Whenever. trust there's the love and then you know you're you're not there's nothing that's going to happen by getting into everybody's each other's stuff that's going to uh, affect the relationships and and that's a great thing what i love about you guys is that you let this guy bob rock who i still can't believe is his real name but this guy bob rock when he <laughs> produced the uh, black album i was like Geez, I don't even know how you trusted that guy because you guys have such a language between you and you, you know, listen, you guys know how to write songs and stuff to let a guy in. And, you know, as you guys famously point out, you didn't trust him in the beginning. You kind of busted his balls and made him, you know, really belittled him or probably, you know, just really put him through the ringer. But this guy who produced the, the album and you guys vibed with him. I mean, that had to require a whole tremendous amount of trust. Like, who the fuck is this guy? who's now producing our album and is he can he be trusted with our our careers because you don't want to fuck it up you know it's pretty amazing well anyone it it, it you know 
it could have been anyone in that position, we wouldn't have trusted him. But we knew we needed help. So that was a growing growing area for us, you know. Here's you needed help because stuff. You, you needed help because here's my impression of Metallica. The first couple of albums, you guys pushed the limits. You went so fast. It, it, it was so incredibly, um, you know, everyone was like, it was the cool part of Metallica. It was like Metallica, they're never going to be a big band. They're never going to be a commercial success because they're a garage band. They're a, they're a band that, you know, they're not structured the same way as other bands. You guys had pushed it so far and had gone so fast with your music that when you say you needed help, in other words, you needed a guy to bring you to a whole other sound and level, right? Just someone yeah, who could change the things sound. up. Yeah, the sound part was the big thing for us was uh, we felt that we hadn't reached our potential on the sonic side of it. So in terms of getting the best drum sounds, the best guitar sounds, the way that it it, it sounded, you know, Bob had made this incredible record with a cult. He'd made this incredible record with Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. He'd made, he was part of the uh, team up in Vancouver that did the Bon Jovi and the Aerosmith records up at Little Mountain Studio. And we needed, we felt that we needed help to make our records sound better. It's mm. not so applicable these days now that, that people make records in their bedrooms and, and have the tools in their computers to, to do this stuff. But back in the eighties and nineties, so much was placed on the sonics and the sound. And you go into a recording studio and you spend a week on the drum sound and which part of the room do the drums sound better? And okay, you know, okay, now let's move the snare drum three feet over there. Does it sound better over there? Let's put some baffles up around the drum kit. Let what happens if you change the wall covering and you're literally like you're spending like a week on drum sounds and then it's the guitars and should we have it in small spaces and big spaces? What kind of ambience? And so over the course of the eighties, you know, people like uh, Mutt Lang, who did the great ACDC albums, you know, Highway to Hell and Back in Black, and who subsequently did the Def Leppard albums, you know, High and Dry, Pyromania, and Hysteria. It, it, you know, it, it became about the sonics and about the sound. And we, after the first four albums, were we loved working with Fleming, but he was more, um, he was recording us, and 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 he was the right guy to sort of get us through those records but as the songs got simpler we also wanted the sounds to become bigger so we called up bob james and i flew up and met him and you know everything that you were just referring to was a part of a hazing element and and just getting to know each other and building that trust and seeing how far we could pu push each other did he ever so come on, close to leaving the band did he ever say <laughs> fuck you guys it's getting really really intense I, it's really hard to work with you you're, you're you know you're busting my balls <laughs> he signed <laughs> a contract he, he did <laughs> he had to be there i uh i I don't know if you probably every day, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. every day. Yeah. And 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 but uh, it was so, guys, mean, it was a two way street. I mean, yeah, we, but, we were also sitting there a lot, going like, "What the fuck are we doing here with this guy?" And he's telling us how to play our song and try it this way. And you know, like James was hinting at before, we had never been at the receiving end of producer advice in that sense. And 
it, it, in what I'm saying about Bob is no way disrespecting Fleming, who did our previous three records, but he he recorded us. He didn't sort of tell us what to do or try it this way instead of that way so much. And Bob was the first guy to push our buttons. And, and like you just hinted at, it took a long time to get used to that. Was, um, was it an intentional thing? Because I thought this was always cool about Metallica. Was it an intentional thing not to put out any videos for MTV? Because one of the things I dug about the band in the early days was it was mysterious. It was like, I didn't know what you guys looked like all that well. Uh, it really was all about the music and every fucking band was on MTV. What, did you guys say, fuck it? We're, not, you know, because certainly you need MTV to get worldwide recognition at that in those days. What, what was the discussion around videos? And why, when one came out, did you break down and say, okay, we're going to make a video? What what was the thinking there? Well, for me, I remember we wanted to have a video on there. They, would, they wouldn't touch us, for sure. We were not Asia or whatever, all the other, you know, videos that were up there. We weren't right. that. They were kind of the enemy, you know. And basically, what I remember of it is there was so much talk about Metallica. Why don't you have a, a video for Metallica? So it's like the fans and the people around us was requesting something. So it kind of put it in their minds like, hey, we need to pay attention to this band. So it, it was almost like now they're asking us to do a video and we get to do what we would like to do, not we have to fit their mold. Uh, so so that's, did you guys, that's what happened around the one video. Did you guys make videos before that and submit them to MTV and they'd say, fuck you, no. we're not putting... No. No. Wow. No, I mean, there was definitely there was definitely an element at that time of, you know, which we've talked about before and is a, something that's just part of who we are, which is that we don't belong and we don't fit in and we're not part of, of that cool club. And so we've played both sides of that, which is we're not cool enough to be on mtv and that can really quickly when you douse a little bit of cynicism on top of that then it's like well fuck you we don't want to be on mtv you know what i mean that's a real fine line yeah and so up through those years it was like well we don't want to play the game we don't want to sort of uh, uh you know bow to the man to the to the record business to all that type of stuff there was definitely a lot of pride in the fact that we were hovering on the outer fringes and that we weren't part of the mainstream and but were people telling you like man you guys got to get with it your careers aren't going to last i mean there must have been a tremendous amount of pressure to put some spandex on and kind of you know dress like a girl and, and get on mtv i can imagine because when you're a musician, I mean, you just yeah. got to keep. We had, you know. uh, yeah, we had uh, our 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 guys at at Q Prime and our manager Cliff Bernstein was was really was like a barrier, a a, a barricade between what the record companies wanted and and protecting us from that. And very early on, you know, and, and he still, you know, they had Def Leppard, they had Dawkins. Uh, they yeah. had Queensryche, uh, another, uh, uh, you know, uh, a few bands at that level, but they were very adamant about protecting us from the way the game was supposed to be played. So we, we felt pretty safe. There was very early on the gauntlet was thrown down with Electro Records and, and with our record companies in Europe that we weren't going to go down that path. So we didn't feel too much pressure, but 
it, it, as the records kept coming out and there was no video, it almost became a thing. You know, Metallica is the one band that's not releasing a video. And then finally on the Injustice for All album, we had the song One. And somebody had the idea that this was a song that could really be visualized in a way that would fall outside of that kind of hair and spandex and and that formula that that 95 percent of the videos were at that time there was something dark about that song uh and there was something obviously sinister and really unique about it and there was the material from the johnny got his gun movie and then i think it was cliff and a few other people kind of came up with this idea about doing a, a video in the spirit of the johnny got his gun movie and actually intercutting it with that footage and then off we went on our first video adventure and it it felt like it was just the right time you know it was uh yeah. after uh holding back for so long it was like here we go and um when that when that video came out in february of 89 remember dial mtv uh it was all about dial mtv every afternoon on that monday it premiered it premiered straight at number one and it literally changed it was it was one of those monumental days where it was just like, holy shit, this is real. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there that want something different than the formulaic stuff they're being fed. And so that was a really big day when, when one went straight in at number one that first day and stayed there for like the next eight yeah. months or something what a crazy. victory. What a victory, because here's the MTV that wasn't playing any Metallica, and then for that thing to go number one. It was a very cool video. And what do you, and Kirk, what do you mean when you, you know, you say you struggled with the lead guitar part on that? Why, why did you struggle so much with one in particular? I think I, I, I did, uh, the, one of the middle solos, and then, you know, what happens sometimes is you put a part down, in the studio and then you walk away from it and just kind of come back to it two or three days later and discover that it's not what you wanted to put down on the part and so uh, we had already moved out of the studio in, in LA we, we were, uh, were already on the Monsters of Rock tour and I had to fly out to the Hit Factory in New York and go in and redo one of the solos uh, in between uh, uh, dates on the Monster of Rock tour. And, you know, I had three hours to do it. I went in there and redid the second solo, and that's the solo that you hear on the album. But, you know, sometimes you go into the studio, and you have the best intentions, but you still don't hit the mark. You know, and when that happens, you know, I get a little desperate. I'm like, I'll do anything I can to to make it right. Because you, when you put something are, down on an album, I, you have yeah. to live with it for the rest of your life. I know. Like, does it go through your head when you're when you're cutting an album and you say, if I don't do a great lead here, like this, like this could be the lead that I'll be playing in concert forever, and this is the lead that kids are going to be hearing. And I can't even imagine the pressure because I've watched I've watched a whole bunch of documentaries where they throw you in the room and they say, OK, now, Kirk, come up with a lead for this song. And I'm like, oh, this poor fucking guy. How does he do it? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It really is a yeah. crazy process. What were you just picking? Now, while Lars was talking, you started doing something with your guitar. I was watching you. What were you doing? What were you playing? I, I guess you're warming up over there. What What is it you play yeah. when you're just waiting? 
Well, I you know, I have a ton of like exercises and scales that I do, and I, I noticed that you know the dialogue was was going on a bit long, and I didn't want to get cold, so I just started running scales. And what I do is I run through modes, my modes, which is uh uh. uh it's uh, eight different variations of the major scale up and down the neck. Can I? Can you and demonstrate that for me? I just want to see what guys play when they're yes. waiting to warm up. Okay. okay so, um, right. uh, uh, so this is this is the major scale mode, right? Go ahead. And that's you know it's the uh, joy to the world uh, melody. You know, it's uh, basically joy to the world is the major scale. And so modes are the major scale. The first mode starts on the first one. But the second mode is a, uh, the same major scale, but started on the second note. The third mode is the major scale started on the third note. The fourth scale is the fourth note. And it just what it does is it kind of like it shifts the notes or uh, up the neck so wherever you're at on the neck you know where the the scale is and it it, it works beautifully for like all types of, uh, of music and it's a, a great warm-up as well and that's basically what i was doing and also do a chord a chord relay thing which is crazy and it's like Which is a jazz exercise I learned from Joe Satriani in like 1982. I still play every day to this day. It's crazy. So that's but the warm up. Warm ups. You know yeah. that's yeah. Why? Why do you love the Les Paul guitar? Why is it that that you you use that? Is there a certain sound that you get in there? Well, yeah, you know Les Pauls are really really unique in that. The first Les Pauls came out in 1952, and they had a certain type of construction, but they changed the construction in 1957 and put PAF pickups in it, in all the Gibsons, and that particular type of pickup that's in this guitar is super touch sensitive, and uh, it, it, it's, it's, it really amplifies it. the... Oh, it's 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 great, and, and they age well. PAF pickups are like... They age like wine. And so this guitar is from 1959. These pickups have aged incredibly. And, you know, you can't, like, just pick up a new guitar and expect it to sound like this. And wow. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, certain Les Pauls are amazing sounding because they've had the time to age, you know, if they've been well played and, and well loved, they they tend to sound that way. Gee, this seems like there's so much you need to know. I'm even watching James's face while you're talking. He's like, I didn't know any of this shit. What the fuck? I mean, I'm a guitar player. We're I'm pretty successful. I, yeah, think, I, mean, it's I always crazy. thought Kirk was just nervous. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got to do something with my hands. Yeah. We and all have that, too. Yeah, but there's we... an element of that, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's just nervous energy. You know, it's how I get rid of my nervous energy. Hey, whatever it's worth to you, we're learning we're learning as much about each other as everybody else is. We've never well, what had did you these guys conversations think? before. What did you guys think when you read that or maybe you heard from Kirk directly mm -hmm. that he bought Peter Green from Fleetwood Max guitar and pay how many what did you pay? A couple of million bucks for it, right? Am I correct? 
Did you? Did you <laughs> no, no, that's 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 the rumor. I would never pay a couple million dollars for just about anything, <laughs> you know. Right. right. I, yeah, I, <laughs> but but you bought I, that the, the guitar. The, Why? Yeah. Okay. So the owner came to me, and he was in financial straits. And I said to him, I don't, I'm not going to buy a $2 million guitar. And he said, it's not $2 million. That's, you know, that's poppycock, you know, British guy. And right. so he, he, he brought it to my hotel and I, I plugged it in and literally within 30 seconds, Howard, I said, you're not getting this guitar back because it's wow. amazing sounding guitar. Hey, Justin, why you bring the, bring Greeny, please? Um, Greeny is the Green. guitar you bought and, 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 yeah. And, and, yeah. and you use it on stage. Yes, yes. Wow. And and so the the legend and there is a legend to it is that Peter Green bought it in 1965 and Peter Green was the guy who formed Fleetwood Mac and on that guitar he wrote Black Magic Woman, Oh Well, Albatross, Green Man Alishi, amongst a, a a bunch of other songs. And then in 1971 he sold it to Gary Moore for $150, and then Gary Moore had it for like the next 30 years and played it on a bunch of Thin Lizzy albums, including my favorite Thin Lizzy album, Black Rose. And so Greeny has a really unique sound. Wow. James, what do you think of this Greeny? Have you heard it before? I played it before he did. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I knew you did. Yeah, the guy brought it backstage to show <laughs> it to me. And... Right. Uh, I rejected it. <laughs> you did. I'm an you idiot. didn't want Greeny. Yeah. You didn't want Greeny. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was asking uh, exorbitant amount. And, I, and I played it before James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why it got so expensive. Yeah. Lars played it. Yeah. Thanks, Lars. <laughs> is right. this Greeny that I'm looking at right now? This is Greeny. Yeah. Yeah, and it's known for two sounds: the 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 the, the neck pickup sound. Let's hear it. It's super syrupy. Green Man Alishi, come yeah. on. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little quiet. Yeah. But it's, well, yeah. it's not very loud. That's one of its problems. <laughs> it's very quiet. <laughs> it's subtle. It's called subtle. Yeah. So the, <laughs> yeah. Poor Greeny. I mean, the neck, the yeah. neck pickup, the neck pickups yeah. in backwards. Yeah. That's, so, that's, so, yeah. It's, uh, these screws are turned around. Usually, these screws are on the top because it's turned around. It has wow. a more unique sound, and because it's turned around, um, I can't get it to work. For, I can't get it to work for some reason. But it looks two good. million dollars. It better <laughs> fucking work. Good thing. Right. Maybe it needs to go to the shop. Oh, uh, the poor Greeny. And, and, and you and you also <laughs> bought the. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, oh, here it is. Hey, all right, now Greeny's working. Yeah, all right. right. Okay, right. so, all right, it's all right. known for the neck pickup. <laughs> and it's sustained. It has really great sustain. And then it's it's known for the middle position. And its it sound is out of phase. Right. And it and when it's out of phase, it sounds like a Fender Strat. And Les Pauls are not supposed to sound like Fenders, but this guitar does in the middle position. And that was so unique to me. I said to the guy, "You're not getting this guitar back. I'll give you what you want, I'm, I'm, but I'm keeping this thing." I I picked up on the energy and the mojo of this guitar immediately, and it's I'm it, it's inseparable now. Where I sleep. 
it's it's literally 10 feet from me no matter where i am i keep it and bring it everywhere and play it on stage too did hendrix play that guitar and george harrison as well yes hendrix george harrison jeff beck rory gallagher i mean the list goes on Lars Ulrich. Wow. Lars Ulrich. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Maybe Howard Stern. That, that, that's where he <laughs> Wow. And, and James, why, you're laughing at this because why? I mean, in other words, you, you don't buy into all of this uh, guitar stuff. In other words, you play your guitar. You're not looking for rare guitars and things like that. You, you don't buy into it? Ah, I told, I do buy into it. I understand what he's saying as far as mojo or uh, I, I there's something fantastic about older guitars that are just kind of sitting in a in a guitar case in some collector's closet that need they need to breathe they need to speak they need to be played so i think there's riffs i think there's life in these guitars just like with old cars you know i got into that they need to speak still so they've got all these riffs inside them and they just need the fingers to to uh, unlock them so i understand completely what he's saying and kirk is very into the sonics of a guitar i'm i'm more about consistency being a rhythm guy you know just hey if it's got crunch and it sounds like a a heavy distorted drum i like it um and uh it's, it's just about comfort for me um he's very little more meticulous about what it is i mean i i could kind of play anything um but he's very you know like you said he um he 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 found joy in the the pickup that i i picked up and i went ah it sounds thin and i was because the pickup's backwards i was gonna switch it around if i bought it and they're like you can't do that you know <laughs> it's like all right i guess i can't so i'm not gonna buy that guitar but yeah i love what, what kirk's saying would you pay a lot of money for an old guitar? I have. I you have. have. Yeah. I, I've, I've got some 59 Les Pauls that are pretty fantastical. Um, and I've got, yeah, I got old Explorer that's probably worth even more than that that I brought out on tour. It's for me, it's a little more about the shape, how it fits my body. The, the Explorer and the Flying V fit my body better. I just feel right. better playing them. And if I'm feeling better, I'm going to play better and emit, you know, a, a, a lot more energy. But Howard, you know, Rob has a really important bass. Right. Oh. Don't you, Rob? Yes. Oh, yeah, uh, Rob. Uh, when are we going to get right. to you over there? What's the important <laughs> bass you have? Well, how you I, doing, Rob? Well, uh, jo how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Jocko Pastorius is a uh, uh, bass. Ah. It's a... Uh, yeah, oh, wow. fretless. Uh, it's been through a lot. There's a whole story in that instrument that would take this entire uh, interview. But uh, it, yeah, I mean, just like Kirk, you know, each instrument has a personality. It has a voice. And like James says, in that instrument, you know, besides the history of it, there are riffs. There, you know, there's, uh, you know, wants to speak. And that's always a lot of fun. So I get it, you know. I'm, and I'm not a collector, you know. I'm not an avid collector or anything. But uh, hey, Robert, get, when you joined, when you when you joined Metallica, and you you were going through this audition phase, you know, and Lars is out drinking with you all night, and then you have to play with these guys. <laughs> what was the song? What did you play on the guitar for them that convinced them to make you the bass player in Metallica? Do you remember? Yeah, um, I think it was a uh, uh, battery. Yeah. 
I, you know, uh, and I'm not sure because they can answer this, but there was sort of a, a stock um, list of songs, and I figured I'm just going to go for one of the more intense ones, you know, the fastest and the one that may have, you know, the gallop technique, the... You know, that has a, an intricate sort of pattern in it in itself, and there's and it's still got a groove. That's the thing about Metallica is you've got all these little variants within the uh, riff and sometimes it's galloping but then it'll down pick and you know and then of course shifting gears within the song you know that's that's the uh, the recipe so to speak so i figured i'd play that one and try and knock them out hopefully it works Boys, i think it did i'm here <laughs> yeah, yeah and you 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 played guitar for ozzy right and you've and and, and but let's talk about ozzy uh, and the impact he's had on this band when you guys, I think it was, uh, I, guess, I guess, Master of Puppets after that. I mean, and you guys weren't a big commercial success like you are now. Ozzy was the guy who said, hey, come on tour with me, right? I'm going to introduce you guys to America and yes. a bigger audience. I mean, do yes. we we love Ozzy, right? I mean, this is a guy that Metallica, love uh, the love of Ozzy. When he tapped you guys, what was that like when he said, come on tour? But tapping you is a, a bad expression. But when he when he said to you guys, hey, you're coming on tour with me. I'm going to introduce you to America. You must have thought you died and went to heaven, right? This was a huge break. Uh, absolutely. It was, uh, at that time, we'd done two or three uh, runs around America, uh, clubs, uh, small theaters. You know, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, Ozzy at that time when he was, his solo career was really going, was known to bring out uh, bands that were, kind of uh on the verge of breaking uh the time before he took us out he took motley crew out and did a whole u.s tour with motley crew and that also elevated them to to the level they eventually landed at and um with us it was our turn in 86 we had a new album master puppets uh ozzy and obviously uh sharon has a lot to 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 speak for in this also but they were kind enough to take us out and give us that shot and we were out and and Five years earlier, James and I were meeting and talking and sitting there and trying to figure out what we're doing. And now we were out playing arenas in America and not just it was like the whole thing was so fucking surreal because, OK, L.A., New York, whatever. But, you know, the first show was in Wichita, Kansas, and we're playing the, uh, you know, Wichita Coliseum or the Enormo Dome, as we used to call them. Uh, that was a generic term for, for any of these places. And it was just there we were in front of 15,000 people in the middle of America and couldn't believe, like you're saying, that we'd won the lottery ticket. And they were so uh, generous. They gave us sound checks most of the night. We got to have our little drum riser and our little things. We had some strobe lights and some other stuff. And we had the crosses. That's right. Yeah, we had a, a special little a sp stage with some upside, some crosses on it that were um, that were the master puppets. You know, uh, the visual. And there we were out in arenas across America playing to. Primarily an unsuspecting uh, and and uh, an unknowing uh, a portion of people, but again, like we talked about earlier, you could kind of feel that the tides were turning. You could feel that there were a lot of music fans that had not experienced the type of stuff that we were doing, and 
you know, we opened with battery and then I think went into master puppets. Uh, and, you know, first couple songs are kind of looking up and going, what is this racket? And then 45 minutes later, they were all, you know, doing their fists and getting into it and kind of understanding, you know, what we were doing. And it was such a transformative time. And it was our first go around in the big leagues and hanging with Ozzy and being around that a-level energy and and that sort of a-league like we were in in the the we were in the majors you know we've been playing in the minors for years and now we were in the majors and you know there's a lot of stories that have gone around and some of them have turned into tall tales and you know ozzy said a couple times we would be up on stage at sound checks playing some black sabbath songs and he's been known to say that he thought that we were taunting him and we were kind of sort of making fun of we were we were up on stage playing black sabbath songs because we wanted him to come up and sing with us that was like our big dream it's like We would be up there playing like Hole in the Sky or Symptoms of the Universe or any of these things. And it was like, where's Ozzy? Is he, he, he can hear us in his dressing room. Somebody go get Ozzy. And then Ozzy's side of the story is he's down in his dressing room going, these guys are taking the piss. Or these thought we were making fun of him. And we were just trying to get our hero to come up on stage and sing with us. But their whole family, um, not just Ozzy, obviously Ozzy and Sharon, but the rest of the band, and all their crew guys. I mean, we were welcomed in and we ended up playing with them for like six, eight months or whatever. And it was a why, lot of fun. Why do you it guys think Ozzy was so generous? In other words, I've heard horror stories about bands that you go out on tour and the, the main act doesn't want you guys doing all that well. They don't even want you having a sound check because they don't want you to blow them off the stage. I can imagine that Metallica had nights on stage when 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 you were opening for Ozzy where you blew the fucking doors off because that's the nature of your band um but you, but he never gave you the signal like hey get rid of these guys he's they're fucking it up yeah. for me i mean that's pretty yeah, incredible and, yeah and you know that that says a lot for Ozzy's character i have to say it does. he really really gave us a chance and really like opened it up and you know he didn't feel like in, if he felt threatened, you know, he, he was always in a situation where he could have went, okay, you guys are off tour, but he never did, you know? Wow. He just continued to support us, which was great. And I you guys did perform fun. Iron Man and Paranoid with Ozzy, right? I mean, you eventually got yeah. to play with him. We, yeah. In diapers. We, in diapers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, Ozzy's also, he's very grounded in a lot yeah. of ways, and, and he's been there, you know, he's understand, and, and he understands where it all comes from and how important it is to um, help the lineage, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. At that time, he was. I mean, in, in at that time, he was the king of that whole hard rock, heavy metal pyramid. And and like Rob just said, you know, and and the Motley Crue example before us, there was a thing about being respectful to the community and helping out the the, the next bands. And yes, we saw. On our way up in, in those years, we saw both sides of it with, uh, some bands were very competitive and, and there was a lot of 
of kind of just like ill will and and weird kind of competitive shit but there were other people like the aussie camp that were so confident comfortable and grounded in their own place in all of it that they didn't need to prevent us from having a sound it was a better night for ozzy if metallica sounded good it was a better it was better karma and it was a better people had a better experience if the support act also came across well rather than them having three lights and five speakers and six inches of space you know what i mean so and it taught us a lot it taught us how to relate to our support acts when we eventually then took you know queen strike out the first headline arena tour we did subsequently on the uh and justice for all the run couple years later and all the great bands that we've had out with us uh to be respectful to support them to encourage our fans to to be open to them and and to uh you know all of that so we're so uh, uh proud and 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 grateful for that opportunity with ozzy and sharon and the rest of that gang for pretty much all of 1986 here you are with ozzy band either listen to this james look there you are (laughs) thrilling right Is that from Madison Square Garden when we did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame celebration? Is that what, where that's, that's from? I think that's what that's from, actually. That's exactly right. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was such an incredible night. We, had, we were asked by uh, Jan Wenner and the rest of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to host. Uh, Springsteen hosted. Uh, who else hosted? You 2 hosted. But we hosted three or four other artists, and we got a chance to play a bunch of songs with Ozzy. We got a chance to play a bunch of songs with Lou Reed, and we got a chance to play a bunch of songs with Ray Davies. And it was such an incredible night. Um, that is also definitely one of the highlights of our career that night. I know you must have like pinched yourself because if anyone would have said to you when you started out that Metallica would be at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame playing with those kind of people, it just <laughs> because when you're outsiders and you're not accepted by the mainstream. It's so crazy, you know. Um, we were talking t- talking about covers, though. Um, maybe we can do this now, get you guys playing a little bit. But I was talking this morning about uh, Bob Seger when you guys covered Turn the Page. Why did you guys choose to cover that song? Uh, was there a, a special meaning in that song for you? Or is it just you just love the song? Well, I mean, first of all, let's take it back just a little bit. And sorry if this is long-winded, Kurt, and you have to start doing your exercises. <laughs> but... um <laughs> Uh, you know, going back to, I mean, Metallica started basically as a cover band. Uh, so when James and I met, we were so fired up to start playing and get out there and get amongst it. We, we knew we were going to write our own songs, but we didn't really have the, we didn't have the patience to do that right off the bat. So we started playing a bunch of new wave of British heavy metal covers. We played four Diamond Head songs. We played songs by bands like Blitzkrieg and Sweet Savage and so on. All these bands that nobody knew at the time in America. We right. didn't go out and say, we didn't go out and say, Hey, these are our songs. Check it out. But we also didn't go out and say, they're somebody else's songs. We just went out and played them. 
and it kind of got us playing in the clubs in LA and got us playing up in San Francisco and so on. And so other people's material have, have always been a really big part of, of our DNA because we take our own songwriting so seriously. We put so much time and effort into it. And sometimes you just want to fucking play and you right. don't have the patience to sit down and, you know, be analytical about a rock and roll song for three months. So playing other people's material has always been a big thing for us. And so we have, that's called the garage days side of us. And we've put out a bunch of records over our career of us playing all those cover songs. And in the mid to late 90s, the idea came up to do some more cover songs, but maybe play, play a new batch. And so we, we sat down to try to figure out what songs were speaking to us in the middle of the 90s, now that we've gotten most of that new wave of British heavy metal stuff out of the way. And we came up with some different things. And I was driving across the Golden Gate Bridge up in San Francisco, and... It was on maybe KSJO or KOME or whatever. I heard uh, Seeger's, you know, the live version of Turn the Page, and I could just hear James singing that. And the first thing that that popped out was just James would fucking nail this uh, vocally and and just the lyric, the lyric element, I think, it felt like it would speak on his behalf and, and, and to the situation that we were in. And I, there was just something about the vocals. And I think earlier on, the, the cover songs were a lot about the riffs and the energy, but later the cover songs became a big part of, of how James would interpret them and how James would tackle them and make him his own. And I suggested, you know, turn the page to James and, and to the rest of the gang and everybody was on board. And then uh, we recorded it, uh, and we did a whole slew of, of covers that for that record. We did a Nick Cave song. We did a Skinner song. We did, uh, what else did we do? We did uh, some Discharge. Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster well, Cult song, and so a whole, whole slew yeah, of that things. Always... But that turned the page, became a single, and, and became a, a pretty big hit uh, at radio and our reinterpretation of that. And speaking of video, I love the video or turn the page that you guys did. I know MTV didn't play it. It got banned because you had that porn star Ginger Lynn in it. But it changed the meaning of the song for me because I always thought turn the page was about a rock band and, and Bob Seger's life and always being on the road. And But you guys turned it into, with the video anyway, the story of a call girl, a prostitute, who basically had to support her kid. And it was a pretty fucking good video, but MTV again wouldn't play it. And, but that didn't stop, stop you from having yeah, a hit with a, it. There was a, there was a couple of different versions. Jonas Akerlund, who had done a bunch of great Madonna videos and he did that incredible prodigy video. Remember that one? Smack my bitch up. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, I, I mean, he, he just had a different interpretation of, of these songs and he came up with that idea. And it's really, I mean, it's really an abstract take on the idea of fame and about a falling star and about what you do after, you know, your time in the, in the spotlight has, has come and gone. And obviously it was a more extreme take on that. And there were a couple of different versions. There was one with Ginger Lynn that was, uh, pretty, uh, somewhere between NC-17 and X-rated, but there was also, <laughs> yeah. I think, some edited versions of it that, that ended up at MTV eventually in some way, shape, or form. But yeah. Jonas Akalon, uh, still, he, he did one of the videos for the Hardwired album 
a couple five years ago and is still out there uh, doing a bunch of great stuff but uh it was a it was a really cool and unique uh video uh and and very abstract in that sense well i love your version of this and i also love i mean i don't know what bob Seeger thinks of it i bet you he loves it and and i I particularly love the uh, lead that Kirk does on it because uh, there's no saxophone in your version, and I can't stand the fucking saxophone. I don't know, man. It just it doesn't. Do Agreed. You agree, right? It's you, your version is better. Yeah. Your, your the version yeah. that you're going to do now, the, the version of this song that you guys do, with all due respect to Bob Seger, who's great. I feel this is you. You took his song to a new level, so I'll, I'll turn oh, it you. over to you. I, I've yeah. heard him. I've heard him say that. Uh, I've heard of one or two interviews or read him that he uh he was very complimentary of our version which uh was super cool. Uh he said that he'd heard it and dug it and and loved our interpretation of it so. You tell the saxophone guy to leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need him. Yeah, it, you know Howard uh, so when I first heard uh, uh, you know the uh well, no, I take it back. When I was listening to the song and I heard the saxophone part and I thought that would be a great guitar line. And I thought it would be even cooler if I played it on slide because I'm a big Almond Brothers fan. <laughs> oh, wow. Dwayne okay. Allman in particular. And it was like my, I saw it as my opportunity to pick up a slide and you know, record a song with slide playing. And I'm happy that I did because I love playing slide and I love Dwayne Allman. So it's my, it's my opportunity to pretend I'm Dwayne Allman for a few minutes. <laughs> Right. Well, what do you say, boys? You want to do turn the page to start off this I'd morning of music? Yeah. All right, I'd love to hear it. I love that song. James, do you mind just give, give me just the level of the heavy sound for a second? Heavy? Yeah, just a heavy. Okay, thanks. That just ruined the moment. Okay. I love that. <laughs> I don't know what, what's going on, but I like that. Baby 
Is that love good. that song? Yeah, love that song. Uh, it, is it, it? I mean, every time you do it, it takes on a new value, right? It just feels good. It's a it's a great it's rock song. The sign of a great song, a great songwriter writing a great song that definitely touches our soul. Being out on the road, the fame that gets in your head and all the shit that's around it, and at the end of the day, you're laying in your bed, your ears are ringing, you're like, "Wow, all right." Am I doing the right thing here? Am I not? Um, 
but yeah, the road life for sure can get to you, but it also can, uh, you know, be a, be a service. James, which is for us to go out and play it, and bring joy, man. It seems like you're a very underrated guitar player in my estimation. I mean, the way you sing and play at the same time, and especially, you know, it, it, there's some songs, I don't know how the fuck you're doing it. It, 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 does that bother you at all that you that, that maybe you're not noted enough or 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 mentioned enough as a great guitar player at all doesn't bother me one bit i i i i have a place i have a place and i have a place in this band i get to sing and play uh trophy stuff whatever recognition it doesn't matter. I know that I'm doing the right thing. And these guys respect it. We respect each other. We give each other the praise that we need. So that's enough. Yeah, because I said to someone the other day, why is Kirk not mentioned in the same breath as Eddie Van Halen? You know what I mean? The same with Robert on bass. I mean, well, I mean, seriously, you guys are like, Kirk, do you get a little fucked in the head when you don't, when you see these rock poles and they, you know, Brian May is the greatest guitar player of all time, they said the other day. I mean, that sounded crazy. You know, to me, for but. me, seriously, Howard, it's about making great music, you know, and that is satisfying enough for me. It's not about status and never really was about status, you know. When I was in high school, I had no status. <laughs> you know, right. I was just a kid. I was a kid playing guitar. Right. <laughs> you know? And so as an adult, things like status don't mean anything to me, but playing guitar does. And it's not about the individual. It really isn't. No, yeah. Because you take us and split us up into little parts. I mean, we're all pretty good at what no, we do. No, you're more than good. But you really are. When we get are. together, when we get yeah. together, that's the magic. It really is. And that is a testament to joining a family of brothers and playing music in a band. It's not about being the best uh, individual player, really. But I'll say and that about also, Lars, too. I think Lars isn't mentioned as a great rock drummer enough. Uh, Lars, when you play, I, again, I'm not a drummer. If I have this wrong, in the one video is the first time we really get to see your feet when you're playing the drums and you do that heels up thing. You actually keep your heels up high. Now, when yeah, you're I doing mean, that, when, 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 do that by yourself for a second. I want to point out something to people because it's fast. It's almost impossible to move your feet that fast. I can't tap my foot that fast. Is that because well, you sw traditional drummers keep their heels down when they play and you decided to lift your heels when you play? Does that have something to do with it? It's the high heels. I, I appreciate the question. It, 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 it when as we became more successful and in interviews and and the drumming community, they wanted more answers about what was going on. And we're all sitting there going, well, I'm not really sure what the hell we're doing. But I realized that I stomp on the kick drum rather than, like you're saying, have the heel and kind of, I don't know. I know there's a camera down here. I don't know if you can see that. But I kind of, I stomp. So I play kind of with the front of my foot. You're running. You're running hard. And I was just getting into it. Oh, it sorry. comes from, uh, it get, comes from the, 
from the athletic side of my family uh just growing up around tennis and everybody in my family were tennis players were soccer players do your ankles tennis, hurt yeah. when you play that because you're playing with your feet like at an incredible rate of speed what it, do, do, do you ache after the concert no the the worst parts generally are more the shoulder the shoulder the shoulder and the elbows are, are the, the the problem areas for me the feet are not so bad. You know, if I'm playing like super fast. Wow. Up up in that up in that register and playing those fast kick drum patterns and stuff like that, that actually flows fairly easy for me. And I love the the kind of what I call the four on the floor, the kind of fill rud, you know, A C D C Kind of stomping where you can really, really lean into the kick drum. Uh, those two things are not on the on the feet. They're not that problematic. It's more up in the shoulder. And if we're playing two and a half hours and a lot of this, I, as you can probably tell, I like to kind of move around and I don't like yeah. to stay seated for too long. And and so I'm moving around and walking around the kit and all that kind of stuff and. I'm swinging a lot and doing a lot of this stuff, and a couple times I've thrown my shoulder out. I've had what is the hardest Metallica shoulder. song to play drum-wise, Lars? What is it when you really have to gear up? Well, the hardest ones are the hardest ones for me are more the there's two there's two ways you play. Uh, some of the songs are more what I call physical. Take a song like Enter Sandman, we were hitting earlier, Sad But True, or some of those songs where you really have a physical kind of, you're leaning into the drum kit. But the ones... Right. Songs, those, <laughs> songs, those songs, those songs, <laughs> uh, those songs you play more physically with your body. The ones that are the hardest are the ones where you have to play with your mind, where you have to keep thinking about the next parts where it gets into a lot of the stuff uh, from the earlier progressive albums where it's more it's five and then it's three and then there's a thing coming up with two guys and you got to remember that the first time it's a double tail and the second time it's a single tail and all that kind of stuff where you're playing like what's it it's it, you're you're constantly in your mind going what's the next part what's the next part don't fuck up the next part. Don't fuck up the next part. And then, oh shit, I just fucked it up. <laughs> or, you know, so the, the hardest ones, like. A lot of pressure. Take, yeah, let's take, like, the back part of one. You know, so the part where we're just playing, if you go into the next part, you know, the part, the double bass part's fairly easy, but then when it gets to the next part with all those acts. Oh shit! Like My elbows hurt like, from that. Yeah, I mean that—that's that intense. kind of thing about. Okay, now you gotta go up to that tempo, then four accents, then do that uh, kind of a snare pattern thing there that's syncopated with James's guitar. That's in the head. That's not in the body. 
And that's the harder stuff for me, the stuff that's uh, the mental, wow. cerebral, whatever words you want to attach to it, you know. Um, but generally, I put so much time, like we talked about earlier, I put so much time into the physical part of it that uh, it's a little hard to talk about it while you're playing, as you can tell if I appear long-winded. But playing it when we're really in the pocket, is not that hard. It's more the mental stuff. And there are some of those crazy songs from back in the day. There's a song called Freight and Sanity. Some of those songs, uh, Eye of the Beholder and The Shortest Straw. Some of those songs we've kind of edited along the way to make them a little less heady and a little more physical and, and try to just continue to have them, uh, you know, evolve so they fit our playing style more you know as we're getting a little older we definitely like the more physical stuff and i think we're all less turned on by the stuff that's super heady and cerebral but like just cutting into that one thing that we just did i mean it felt pretty good and we haven't played that in what four months or something <laughs> speaking of that but, when uh, when uh, we were talking about black and uh, you're going back in your history uh, have you guys ever performed this acoustically before um is, is that something you do often or is that uh, a rare occurrence yeah, we've played it, uh, the, the Blackened, as we call it, the Blackened 2020 came together. Obviously, it was the first thing that we did in lockdown. Right. Uh, James reached out and said, you know, let's, let's still keep making music through this uncertain time. And then uh, Blackened 2020 was given birth to. But we've enjoyed playing acoustically over the years, uh, going back to the first uh, Neil Young Bridge School benefit in the mid 90s uh neil young uh hosted uh, uh an event every year that was a benefit for the bridge school uh, up in in norcal and all these incredible artists were invited to come play on the one condition that we'll play acoustic and in 1997 i think we got the invite and everybody was like oh my god metallica is going to play acoustic and then we went out and reinterpreted six or eight of our songs and did them acoustically and had so much fun doing that. And since then, we've played the Bridge School maybe three or four times and uh, love taking some of the older, especially the crazier songs and reinterpreting them acoustically. It's almost it's almost like a complete rewrite. And James, during the pandemic, uh, you know, called us up and said, listen, let's do something. I've got an idea. And... He didn't want to tell us what it was, so he sent it to each of us on, you know, when I opened the file, I didn't know what I was hearing. He said, put some drums to this, and it was an acoustic uh, reinterpret, you know, uh, take on Blackened, and we've played it live uh, maybe two or three times. Uh, we played it at All Within My Hands Benefit a couple of months ago here in L.A. That was the last time, but we haven't played it this year yet. Good. So you boys aren't nervous playing this. I mean, you got it down, right? You're not going to screw this one up. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> uh, I'm excited oh, about this. That's the James, any memories no. about this song when you were, you know, when you guys were writing it? or what, what? What's your thoughts about Blackened? Blackened was just, uh, let's play fast. Let's go fast and crazy and let's, 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 uh. Um, get a speeding ticket from Slayer, you know, Nice. <laughs> and, and, but this, and like Lars has said, we get to rewrite these songs in a way. It's like, I've, I've, I've always admired certain artists, you know, like a, a sting or somebody that's taken their song, a, you know, a, 
uh, Bruce Springsteen. Someone's taking their song, uh, and you're used to it a certain way, and they re- they reinvent it. Uh, not that we're good at it, but it's fun to try. Uh, no, and this I was love another this. one of those. I'm excited to yeah. hear this because I, I think it's great when you take a song and you just, you know, either you slow it down or you just perform it in a new way. Fans go crazy for this kind of thing. And uh, so I'm excited to hear you guys. It do could this. be fun. Uh, could be fun to also play a little bit of the OG way, the electric. If people out there haven't heard, you know, the differences. I mean, you know, without patting ourselves on the back, which we try to do as little as possible, believe me. But, um, you know, I think underneath all of this is the 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 the, the thread that a great song, if it's got a great verse, bridge and chorus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's fast. It doesn't matter whether it's heavy. It doesn't matter whether it's played light. It doesn't matter how it's played. If the, the, the basic bones of it, the verse, the bridge and the chorus, which is really the foundation of any of our songs, if it works one way, it should work in an in acoustic interpretation, uh, you know, try right. to play it in a, I don't know, whatever reggae thing or the polka, whatever. Yeah, a, a, great song, a great, you know, with an orchestra like we've done many times, you can take a great song and you can park it in any genre. It still remains whatever the, the meat and potatoes of it still stays the same. All right, because we know this. We know. And I think some people go, man, how the hell are they going to do that acoustically, you know? That's crazy. <laughs> All right, let's give it a try. Come on, I don't want to fuck yeah. this up. Yeah. Yeah. 
opposition Contradiction Premonition Compromise Agitation Violation Ulition Planet dies Darkest colors Blistered earth Cancellation, human race, expectation, liberation, ah, population, laid to waste. See a mother put to death, see a mother That's good. Ah, I don't even I know what to say. Again. I couldn't <laughs> breathe during that. <laughs> that is so good. So beautiful. Really beautiful, guys. Mm. You're right. Song's good. You hey, play Robin. it anyway. Good morning. Hey, Bobbin. <laughs> breathe, Robin. Breathe. <laughs> okay, I'm breathing. I'm breathing. Uh, she's breathing now. There we go. Okay. Now we're blown out. out. That's... Please. Yeah, yeah no, so uh, great. Yeah. Well, you know, th yeah, that's that fun. Is Good job, man. It's fun that one. Um, you know, we've done we've done so many interpretations, reinterpretations. Some of them land in better places than others. Uh, our fans are very patient and forgiving, uh, but it's oh, fun. On. I mean, it's uh, it's it's fun. That one is definitely. Um, that one lands in a good place uh, when it's in the in the right pocket there. 
And I was watching, and, and then watching Kirk do that on acoustic, the lead, and I'm like, oh, that must be hard. Yeah. It's really difficult to do. But I got to say, Howard, when I went to go do the lead, the pickup didn't work. The, and so I had to switch it to the other pickup and play it on a different pickup. Huh. And that's just what happens, man. Were you <laughs> upset by that? Uh, I'm, I'm very upset right now by it because it didn't work in the song. And then after the song, I checked it and it worked. Wow. I mean, I'm looking at my tech and, and it's like, why, did, why <laughs> does this even <laughs> happen? We've been doing this for over 40 years and stuff like this still happens. But, you know, you're upset, yeah. but we don't know the difference. I mean, you know, to yeah. me, it was just a great version of that song. And it, and it just sounds the song is about the environment, right? I mean, you guys don't get political. I don't know what your politics are, right? Metallica doesn't. You try not to, like, turn anybody off. But you're basically saying, I think. The fucking world's in bad shape. Am I correct? Do I have this right? Yeah. That was pretty much the intention around it. Yeah. Nuclear war was pretty much the, the fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The world will but be on also... fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it can be about me, too. <laughs> uh, right. Just the darkness inside. And, you know, how does it affect me? What can I do to, to get better and change it? You know, so uh, it, it changes meanings. That's another joy about being in a band like tattoos. You know, you get one. Oh, why did I get that? I just give it another meaning. It'll be fine. <laughs> Same with a song, you know, because there's tons of songs out there that I've heard as a kid that I heard a certain way. And then later on in life, it's like, oh, that means something different to me now. That's the sign of a, a of a good lyric. <laughs> me you know what song, you know what story i love about you guys when you guys were making uh the memory remains and you were writing that james and you know i know this story's been told before but it's it bears repeating when you you didn't want to sing that part la 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 like you didn't want to be a guy singing la 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 and then the, i guess it was that guy bob rock who said to you let's get marianne faithful to sing that part i you know to me that's one of the most chilling songs you guys have ever written and uh i you know yeah it tries to be Oh. There was a time I would just play that over and over again on a loop. It's chilly. Yeah. But the la 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 yeah. came about because you didn't have any lyrics at that point. That's how you write, right? You were like la 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 la. You were trying to figure out a vocal. Mm, uh... I think that was intentional. I mean, that whole song based around like Sunset Boulevard and the falling star and the someone who's lost their mind and they get lost in the past and that's all they can see. Um, you know, I, I, we wanted a, a withered, uh, I mean, not withered, weathered voice. Uh, yeah. And Bob suggested, uh, yeah, Marianne Faithful. And she, she nailed it. She absolutely yeah. nailed Genius. it. Genius. Incredible. Yeah, James it really is flew, incredible. James and I flew to Dublin. We literally, this back in the day of tapes, we carried the two-inch tape. Oh, God, we did. Yeah, remember? I remember seeing it going through the x-ray, going, <laughs> oh, no, it's going to erase everything. We had the fucking, <laughs> we, we had the master tapes with us. Uh, it was just James and I on a transatlantic flight with, uh, you know, Akfa two-inch master tape or whatever that shit was called. And then we, you know, went up to Dublin. We went and met her. Bob had set it up. 
And, you know, we were jet-lagged. I think we'd been drinking the whole flight or whatever. Yeah. Walked into a recording studio in Dublin, met her. She was the sweetest. It was, you know, when you meet somebody that you feel like you've met all, you've known all your life. It was like yeah. one of those. We instantly just fucking gelled. And, you know, we sat around. I think we drank wine for a couple hours or whatever. And then I was like, oh, maybe we should, you know, maybe try and go sing this. And then she kind of just went out and the engineer put it up and i think what is on the record is like the first or the second take she wasn't even really? thinking about it she, she nailed it that quick it. It, she she was in yeah. she was in tune with you guys wow that is unbelievable yeah, and I think, to me yeah i think that if my memory serves me correct we we tried some other things afterwards and it's quite often in these types of situations that you just end up going up going with the first thing you know because that's the instinct that's the you know, with somebody of her uh, talent and her pedigree and her experience, it's like the more yeah. you try to sit there, hey, when we try it this way, try that way, try to do it upside down, standing on your, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like you just end up going with their instincts, you know, but it was, uh, it was beautiful. And then she came out and ended up singing it with us, like on Saturday Night Live. She yeah. was singing it with us. She was in the video. She came and played it with us uh, in concert a couple times she came to our 30th anniversary in san francisco and did a beautiful rendition and i mean she's always been such a sweetheart and she looks and so kirk, fucking scary in the video didn't you think she looks we scary were talking, kirk, yeah. kirk and i were talking the other day about um we were in london yeah on the promotion yeah. tour uh for was it reload for reload yeah and kirk and i went out to dinner with marianne faithful and anita pallenberg yeah. Who oh, was wow. <laughs> That's who was, weird. You know, so Marianne was, you tell, Marianne was Mick's girlfriend. Mix and then Anita was Keith's ex. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, Kirk and I were sitting at Nobu in London yeah. with Marianne Faithful <laughs> and Anita Palenberg going, fucking hell, this is cool. Yeah. And kind of bizarre. <laughs> and, but, you know, really hearing bizarre. these incredible stories. What do you about, mean? Could you, you ask know, them about like making Keith and shit? I mean, could, did they get down with that? They're they're pretty open about you know our our our, our questions. You know, they did <laughs> yeah, have some sweethearts. It was uh, it was just one of those. As we were sitting trying to come up with some thoughts or uh, some ideas of stuff to talk about, Kirk and I hit on that. It was just like some of those. It's not something we've talked a lot about, but some of those uh, crazy stories and situations that you find yourself in so and the again, bottom line is always, who had the biggest penis keith or mick i mean you guys must have asked <laughs> that's what i uh, want to know but i always i always go back to the thing you know now in the spirit of the 72 seasons and the the childhood part and going back to the origins as, as you get later on in your life and that thing that we've already talked about a couple of times that who would have fucking thought when we were 17 and 18 and starting Metallica and so awkward and fucking disenfranchised and not a pot to piss in and all the rest of it. And then 25 years later, we'll be sitting in Nobu having <laughs> dinner with fucking Anita Pallenberg and Marianne Faithful. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't script that if you had the best Hollywood screenwriters because that kind of stuff was not supposed to happen to people like us because right. we were so fucking, we were just misfits and outcasts and didn't belong in those circles, you know? 
And oh, then you guys were, were such years later. I mean, people don't remember what misfits you guys were because you're so successful now. But I just remember like when you guys first came on the scene, like like at schools and stuff, the jocks like hated you like 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 the football team hated you. it was like these weirdos who were listening to metallica i mean it was like no mm-hmm. one would you know, people weren't running around with metallica t-shirts and then you know you think about how you changed music you know who were the heavy guys ac dc uh ozzy and sabbath and all that and then you guys fucking amped it up to the point where those guys sounded well quite frankly slow you know like like mm-hmm. from another era that's the beauty of Metallica for me. Just how yeah, much you guys a, changed it. Yeah. A drive. A, definitely a drive to, 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 it's like, pay attention to me. That's really <laughs> look at what me. it is, you know? Yeah. Look at me. I'm, I'm okay. Maybe, maybe I'm not, but I don't care. I'm here and I no, have you, a place here. I don't, you made the world catch guys. up to you. I don't fit you. in with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you really that did. That was pretty you crazy. Made... Yeah, it yeah. is crazy. Yeah, I, I was, I was doing yes. it, and I was doing an interview yesterday where uh, they asked me a, a whole bunch of stuff about Lollapalooza, and we ended up talking about that monumental shift in music in the late '80s and early '90s. And obviously, you guys were in radio at that time and saw it happening. But I went down this whole memory lane thing yesterday about how up through the '80s. The type of stuff that we were doing and the type of stuff that all the alternative bands were doing and talking about Jane's Addiction and the REMs of the world and, and all the rest of the bands that came up outside of the mainstream and how they slowly through, you know, up through the end of the eighties started replacing all the stuff that was being played on AOR rock stations and on MTV and that all the stuff that, you know, what we represented subsequently, what came out of Seattle with, you know, Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and what came out of the alternative scene, like all these great bands like Rage Against the Machine and Jane's Addiction and, like I said, REM, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How then in the 90s, all those bands became the mainstream. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And that is such yeah. a... It's such an interesting paradox because part of what was fueling all of those bands at the time was that we were hovering, we were outsiders. And then you yeah. wake up one day and all the outsiders are now the insiders and the mainstream and that sort of fucked with everybody in different ways. Yeah. And it was a really kind of a strange thing to, to wake up and now all of a sudden and it wasn't that we went to the mainstream it was the mainstream came out to where all these bands were hovering you know what i mean yeah and it was just such an interesting time to sit there and see and talk about you know Lollapalooza, blah 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 and then year five in Lollapalooza, metallica was headlining you know with the ramones and soundgarden and rage against the machine and all that it was such a, an interesting time and if you think about all those great records that came out in those couple years and, and and you were talking about who were the bands at the time. You said ACDC and Black Sabbath and Ozzy and so on, but there was so much great heavy music still coming out and it was so exciting. And who would have thought again, going back to that conversation about, you know, who would have thought 20, 30 years ago, who would have thought 20, 30 years ago that bands like Metallica would still be here, that ACDC would still be here, that Guns N' Roses would still be here, that ACDC is coming and playing you know, the Power Trip Festival with us. Iron and, Maiden. And Iron Maiden are still here. And Ozzy's, you know, coming out and playing again and so on. I mean, that's fucking crazy. Who? It is crazy. Who and I don't even that, know. You know? 
You guys are the last of a breed. I don't think the way music's changing now. I don't think there's going to be big tours anymore with um with certain like 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 big band. Like who's the next big band? You know, you don't see it anymore. The way there's no more radio stations that play music and bring us all together. I don't know. It's it's really hard. I should mention in October, Metallica is playing a big metal festival, Power Trip, with Ozzy, Guns N' Roses, Tool, Iron Maiden, ACDC. And, you know, that that should be very interesting. But you guys will come in, you'll do your thing, and you leave, right? You don't sit there and bomb with those bands and, like, hang with oh, them. Fuck, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there the whole weekend. I'll be the first one in, the last one out. I'll be in really? on Wednesday, and I'll leave on Tuesday. <laughs> fuck yeah. I went to the one I went to the one that's modeled after the one, uh, was it called Desert Storm or Desert, Desert Trip? Uh, remember five years ago when they had the Stones and McCartney and yeah. the Who and uh, right, Dylan right. and Roger Waters and um, who else was? I think that was it, right? Uh, give or that take. Crazy. Neil yeah, Neil it. Young was on it, so it's the same model. You know, two bands per night at the Coachella grounds. I went to that. Was it sixteen or seventeen? And it was fucking. I mean, seeing the Stones and McCartney and Neil Young. Sort of all in the space of like a couple of days, uh, you know, Bob Dylan. I mean, it was insane. So this is that version, the, the the hard rock version of that. I'll definitely, I'll be there the whole weekend. I don't know about you guys, but I'll be there. <laughs> well, you're probably going to end up there. playing with going. Ozzy. I'm not going at all. I, mean, I don't know. I got stuff to do. <laughs> James, you stay home. Now, listen, guys, we got to listen. It's getting late, and I want to mention, more than mention, I want to talk to you about the new album. And uh, I've been listening a lot to it. Uh, do, do you guys find it obnoxious if I tell you what my favorite song on the album is? Or, uh, is, is, in other words, is that relevant at all to you? Sure. Here it yeah, is. I would love to hear that. I know you're burning with uh, your desire to know. But uh, when I heard this song, I went, this is a fucking killer song right here. It's called You Must Burn. <laughs> yes. This, uh, this stuck out in my mind. It's like, Whoa! yes, this is crazy. I agree. My I, don't know who's singing, I don't know who's singing backup vocals on this, but I got to say, this guy's good when, uh, when you get to the vocal. Uh. <laughs> Boys, this is heavy. I love Heavy, this. What? but it's kind of sexy, too. It, it's sexy. I will oh, fuck yeah. this. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we're going for. Yeah. When I heard it, I looked, up it this, I looked up the song. I said, well, okay, Robert, first time you ever sang backup vocals, right? Uh, that was a new one for you. Beyond beyond sort of uh, shouting or, you know, kind of a <laughs> right. having a vocal moment. Absolutely. Dream come true. <laughs> I, I don't know if they have singles anymore, but to me, I, you know, if I was a record company guy, I would go, oh, that's that's a single. That one just sticks out right away to me. But that that, that was my first impression. Also, um, nice. I, yeah, no, beautiful, uh, beautiful tune and and heavy, like a, a, an energy like that remind me going all the way back to uh, the Master of Puppets album. I mean, really, it's just an incredible energy. And then, of course, the Thank album you. is called 72 Seasons, as we know title track 72 seasons that is a one that that's the bass part right that's fast 
That's hard. Well, how, what do you, Jesus? Yeah. Is that very <laughs> difficult to play? I mean, it's like. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Frickin' Robert, uh, and then sometimes you got to do it with your finger, right? Yeah. Ah. He's so freaking good. Look at this guy. He is good. I mean, that is some bass playing on that. Thank you. Uh, it, 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 well, geez, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I mean, <laughs> it really it requires yeah. a lot of practice, right? It just, it's just uh, for the kids out there. You got to do this stuff all day and night. Don't phone it in. Oh, you got to work. There's yeah. a couple you intros. Still practice a couple things where he's shining on this al album for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, the great thing about this album is with everything that was going on and um, there was this collaborative spirit and getting on the floor after not being together and jamming, like some of the intros with Lars where we're just grooving, getting tribalistic and bringing the energy. That's stuff you got to do in person, and that was really, you know, one of the special ingredients in this. Do the guys say to you, Robert, hey, listen, here's the song, we, you know, come up with the bass part. And then you go off somewhere, and then you go, shit, okay, I'm going to blow these fucking guys away with this, this <laughs> intro. Is that how it works? Well, you know, especially with these guys, I'm always up for the challenge. And, uh, and you know, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, tension, but a good kind of attention where it's like, yeah, you know, I got this, you know. It's an intensity that is uh, a part of, our music, you know, and, and challenging each other in, 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 you know, bringing it basically. But yeah, you got to practice and you got to stay on your game, you know, in many ways. You know. Boys, let's see how good you are with the new music. Uh, you know, we, we know you know how to play the old stuff, but Luxie Turner is what you're going to do today. And um, anything come to mind about this song that you want to tell us before you play it? Yeah, this was the title of the album in my head for a long time, and I got outvoted. And it's what do you mean by that, seasons. James? So, what do you mean you no, got outvoted? I just had, well, we're a band. There's four of us, and I voted one way, the three voted a different way. That's what happened, and that's well, James, fine. Um, based on your physical appearance, you can kick, I'm not angry. These, okay? you can kick these three guys' I'm ass. I mean, why? <laughs> you you no. really wanted to call the album Luxa Turner, and they go, no, what? Um, uh, what, 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 Robert, what is wrong with the name Lux Eterna? Why did you vote, vote that down as the title of the album? Well, it's just that 72 seasons is such a powerful, you know, uh, I mean, the, it's all encompassing. The conceptually, it's deep, it's rich, and we just felt that we could do a lot with that. And it kind of speaks to the music and, you know, and, uh, In other and it words, did work out. Yeah. To be better, for sure. You're happy about it. In other words, 72 oh, seasons oh, yeah. Yeah. refers to a period of time in a young man's life. Is that correct? Young person, yes. <laughs> Come on. What does 72 <laughs> seasons mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 72 seasons, uh, first 18 years of your life. Uh, right. And where where you develop your character or your, 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 your core beliefs, your... Uh, it, you know, you start, you absorb the world, whether it's your parents, the rest of the world, the internet, whatever it may be, you're developing your, uh, sense of self. Really? Well, in other words, 
let's face it, 72 seasons has different meaning for you guys because 72 seasons probably what it took you to become a master musician, uh, to practice the guitar, to sit in that room and play, or drums in Lars' case. And, and also 72 seasons, those first 72 seasons might have been the worst fucking times in your life. Right? Yeah, and everyone has that experience. And what is your belief of how it was? You know, that is the thing I'm getting at. You know, you could think that your childhood was fantastic. And then later on in life, it's like, oh, my God, some trauma comes up or something that, oh, yeah, this is what's holding me back or vice versa. You know, you think your childhood was completely screwed up. And here's all the great things that came out of it from that. Here's how your character developed later. Um, so it's, it is kind of a looking back at your childhood and, and, uh, I guess you can't change it obviously, but you can change your attitude about it. James, you were 18 when Metallica was formed. So in other words, it, it's almost like biblical for you. There's pre Metallica and then post Metallica. It's like the 72 seasons without Metallica in your life was probably pure fucking shit in many ways. So that's the 72 seasons. That's why you named the album that. Yeah. And it was a good call. And it's definitely a lot deeper. Not that it wouldn't take on its own meaning on its own. But I don't know. For me, Lux Eterna maybe just covered the whole album a little better, like a, a little more eternal light. You know, we've been talking about darkness forever. And we know it well. And it still lives there. And we've embraced it. And it's still a part of us. The darkness shines bright <laughs> a lot, but there is the there is there is hope. There's a, maybe a little a little glimmer of hope. Hence the yellow. You know that is kind of a little bit of the shining of hope. And it's not all just doom and gloom. There's there's both. So Lux Eterna, this is a difficult song to perform. I imagine because when I listen to it, I go, "This sounds complex." Am I correct? Super simple. <laughs> it is super simple no. don't you think that a lot of your music is not covered because a lot of musicians can't play it no i have no idea no idea i, I have an idea well, you know you know what i hear from a lot of musicians is that they, they tell me that our music sounds complicated but once they learn it they're surprised at how simple it is to play and that's, that's with most songs though right yeah and and that's a, a again a, a good a hallmark of a good song when it sounds a lot more complicated than it than it actually is I, i'll tell All you right. what it was pretty surreal um right after so we dropped uh Luxie Turner. it was back in november i we dropped it uh, i dropped it uh, with you guys Back in November, remember that morning we called in, and here's Luxie yeah. Turner. It was on an unsuspecting world, and it was the first time in Metallica's career we ever dropped anything in that sense. It was right. super cool. Uh, what, two weeks later, maybe? <laughs> it wasn't two weeks. Maybe it was three weeks, but it was like within a month. There were videos going around. There's a, a Japanese speak, you know, addressing what you were talking about in your question. There's a Japanese, uh, Metallica tribute band called Hattalica who were, had a video of Luxie Turner up on the internet. And there was another Australian band. I think they're called Damage Inc. Maybe that had, uh, 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 their video, their version of Luxie Turner up on the internet video playing it live in front of an audience. And wow. we're all sitting there going, fuck, we have never played, we've never even like really played this song after we wrote and recorded it. I mean, we've never even played it really together. 
And how all cool these, is that? All these Metallica <laughs> cover bands are out there, not not in NorCal or Southern California or in Brooklyn, but in Japan and in Australia. And if that's not a testament to how music reaches all corners of the earth, earth first and foremost, but also how the, that's the, crazy. the speed of it now, you know, with like, there's some dudes, you know, it's like, uh, you know, a song comes out and, you know, six hours later, there's like a video of them on TikTok playing the song or whatever. And I don't know about everybody else in the band, but I fucking love the fact that it, it, it that happens and people engage in the music that quickly and do their own versions of it. And I think it sort of is about it. maybe they don't play it perfectly, but the word perfect shouldn't exist in music to begin with. Maybe they don't play it the way James and Kirk play the riffs, but they have their own interpretation of it. And that kind of goes back to the title of the album, The 72 Seasons, which is everybody can come up with their own version of what those 18 years of your life are like. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. a very global theme and a very it's an abstract and subjective enough theme for everybody to make their own version of it. And that's when I think music serves everybody best when you can figure it out for yourself. If that makes man, sense. And it's also kind of poetic, man. I mean, I, that's my problem. Like, I just go, oh, yeah, my first 18 years of life, 72 seasons. Now, that's poetry. You know what I mean? Like, I, my mind just doesn't go like that. That's what I admire. Yeah, about that was, writers. I mean, that was what I connected to. And, you know, it was James's idea. James wrote the, the lyrics and, and came up with the idea for 72 seasons that it really spoke to all the rest of us. And I just loved because at that time, and now, you know, again, without patting ourselves on the back, if you Google 72 seasons, the first 10 Google searches is the new Metallica album. But back then, before it came out, you know, 72 seasons is, and I kid you not, is a Japanese gardening term that there are 72 seasons in the Japanese cycle of gardening and sort of plant life or however you want to describe it. And I just love the fact that the Metallica album is named after something that abstract and yeah. that everybody, you know, and I've been asked, you know, now a couple hundred times in interviews in the last month, tell me about your first 72 seasons. And I think it's a great opportunity for everybody to address their own childhood and understand that how what experiences from their own childhood were subsequently part of shaping who they became as adults. I think it's fascinating. Uh, oh yeah, my and, first, uh, my seventy-two seasons were just filled with tons of masturbation. Um, you know, it was uh, <laughs> an inordinate amount, <laughs> very disturbing. And, but. and look at what you've become. Uh, oh yeah, look at it. I'm a master. I'm a top masturbator now. I'm. I, I put in my hours. Uh, Lux Eterna is a, a song from the new album. That's what we're here celebrating. In case everyone wants to know, Lars, Robert, Kirk, and James, their new album. Um, the new album, seventy-two seasons, comes out. April 14th, and this is Luxie Turner, the boys live, doing right. it right now. Here we and go. It's a four count,
was that wow exactly i just i i just did you guys see what i did i destroyed my whole studio i just turned over a couple of chairs and punched a wall (laughs) fucking nuts what you guys did it is really yeah that song that song's uh, about uh going on tour uh getting everyone together uh and just feeling the energy you know all of the all the stuff Good that you get Lord. at a gig. You can't explain what it is. It's just the chemistry that happens live. So that's what oh. that's about. Poor Robin well, lit her breasts on fire. Sharing that with show, us. show the I'm guys. Destroyed. You lit your, I am she destroyed. Took her, she took her top off and burned her, her boobs. I, I don't even. Just stop looking at me. Stop. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Boys, that was some fucking number. <laughs> Jesus. Thank you. That's I tell a, you. That's I, fun to play. At this oh, time you of the morning, like you were having fun. Oh, did you see? Did, I'm embarrassed. Did you guys see what I did? I stuck my own fist up my ass. I mean, that's crazy. I've never done that. <laughs> say, I remember I going to your know show. How you did that? Oh my You've god! Never I remember done when that. you okay. when you got. Uh, I have done that actually. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I remember uh, going to your show. I always tell you guys this: going to your show when you were touring with that whole full orchestra, like 72 pieces or something right, crazy. Yeah. Oh my god! What a Fucking Square Garden. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you guys, 
we didn't really know each other then, but I was standing at the front of the stage and I, I told you, I pulled my friend's pants down. You get me fucking nuts. <laughs> this is <a> dude. <laughs> well, he just they still ripped don't his know clothes off. react to that. Every time God, you, you know? say it, they wind up silent. <laughs> oh, I, then we, and then, uh, then we cut off his foreskin and cooked it. It was crazy. I just got nuts. <laughs> fucking awesome. Wow. Boys, like what calamari. Can I say? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> calamari. You guys, uh, you guys killed it. Listen, you know, it, there's so much to you guys, and, and we've talked for two hours now, so I'll wrap things up. But one time, you know, the, the, some of the songs that you guys have written, you know, it, 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 we have to dissect them and know exactly how you did this stuff. Because to me, you guys are some of the most masterful musicians. The melodies, the 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 the, the speed of which you play, and the precision. It's really something else to watch. Just sitting here watching it, I'm very privileged to have seen that. Lars, Robert, Kirk, James, uh, wow. Uh, the new album, 72 Seasons, it's uh, it's every bit that good. Out April 14th. And of course, you always hear Metallica on Sirius XM's Mandatory Metallica, Channel 105. Look at you guys oh. with your own channel. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew when you were... Who would have thought 40 years ago? 25 right? years ago, right? <laughs> Who would have thought 72, during those 72 seasons that you guys would have your own channel? Really quite remarkable. Well, boys, I'm sure uh, you got to get to sleep. Uh, we uh, we got you up very early in the morning. Uh, always love when you come by. And thank you for those, for those three songs. That was just Let something to watch. Let me tell you something. After you gave us a glimpse... Of what each of you do and how you do everything to construct a song and, you know, the parts that you play on the song and writing the songs. I had a greater appreciation of watching you this morning than I ever had. Thank you. Robin, that's Thank so you. beautiful. Thank but you. please, uh, Robin, please stick to just complimenting I have to put me back on. and not uh, not Metallica. <laughs> I have to put my attention back on Howard now. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you want, if you want to be good about it, Lars needs a shoulder rub. So why don't you just I go know. over? There? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be his physio. <laughs> Boys, uh, thank you for doing this. I know uh, you know it's such a treat for us, and uh, whenever you come by. And uh, it is sad but true, but we have to say goodbye now, as you know. Uh, and uh, I wish you luck with uh, the tour, with with everything, with the new album, and uh, and and that, anything else, anything, any of you want to get off your chest, Robert. I, it looks like something is waiting. <laughs> Some words of wisdom that What's you could offer missed? the audience. Yes, <laughs> right. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, yeah, we get up early for you and you only. So, you know, that's something to be said. You know, Metallica doesn't get up early for many people, but for you, well, Howard and Robin. We, let me tell we, you how much we'll I appreciate that. I am uh, I am just thrilled to be here with you. Don't forget, it was me, Fartman, who came down from the Raptors. <laughs> I did triumphant oh, MTV. Yes. By the way, I had such a fucking... I had a nightmare the other day. I said, you know... I didn't realize the history back then. Like, that was a big moment for you guys, you know, because finally MTV was recognizing you. And, you know, I didn't know when I was in that fart man costume, I was <laughs> fucking up the whole moment. I had no goddamn clue. 
You know what I mean? I, I just remember fondly Lars it, putting like, his boot up my ass. <laughs> it was yeah. you and me, right? Yeah, yeah. And, Kirk and, I. and your your ass was hanging out. <laughs> Power. Yeah, Didn't you have like right. it was like an orange, an orange and red costume? You came in absolutely on oh, yeah. a wire from like yeah. stage right or something. And yeah, yeah, no. I remember that. That's part of your seventy-two seasons. <laughs> I know, man. It's all good. I want to apologize well, for that. But I, wasn't it, that was before the movie? Wasn't it before Pride? Yeah, that Pride? was before the movie. Yeah, that's yeah, in yeah. the movie. That's in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my yeah. triumphant moment. Hey. Hey, anyway, guys. <laughs> thank you. I just want to say we're all super blessed to still be here doing this stuff. You know, both of you included, for sure. Right. That we've been blessed with such a career that we're able to do what we enjoy and still get joy out of it. So thanks for having we're, us. Words, words well said, because when you look after the smoke is all cleared, think of all the bands you started out with. And I'm talking mm -hmm. about big names. A lot of them can't even fill a fucking small club. But Metallica's still top of their game, top touring uh, band. It's just an amazing accomplishment, the longevity you've had. And that's a testament to your musicianship. Uh, you guys are amazing. So uh, And all the family you. we've built around us, for sure. Yeah. yeah, well, fuck them. You guys are fucking master musicians. <laughs> All right, I'll leave it yeah, at that. Guys. No. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, when, oh, you know, it was great to sit here and talk about uh, some of the real specifics of these songs. Um, and I think all of you, I, you know, James, we echoed it a little bit, this whole thing about, you know, all of us are good at what we do. I don't think any of us are, are spectacular at what we do individually. But one thing we're really good at, the four of us, is being in Metallica. And we're really good at writing songs for Metallica and, and being in Metallica. And, and I used to, we used to have, I'm talking about sort of how you... You change your world perspective as, as you, as you grow along. You know, when we were young and full of spunk and full of cynicism and fuck you energy and, and being those outsiders and fueled by all that, we were so, you know, we're us and we do what we do for us and fuck you. We write our own songs and we're not going to sell out and nobody's going to tell us what to do. All that kind of stuff. Now, in my mind, Forgive me as this sound fucking loopy or overly poetic or whatever, but I think that Metallica has everybody. Metallica is all the fans. Metallica is everybody that gets anything out of this. And the four of us are the shepherds. Of, you know, we're the ones steering it. We're the ones guiding it to the best of our ability. We're trying to make the best decisions, write the best songs. But, you know, Metallica belongs to everybody. Metallica belongs to the energy of the universe and, and to all of that. And I just think that we're so fortunate that we get a chance to be the lead shepherds and the, and the pilots or, or whatever, however you want to characterize that. And to be able to fucking 41 years later, to be on your show, to have this broadcast all over and to have people hear these songs and the anticipation for the new album and now going out and playing two nights in football stadiums yeah. all across the world. And, and you're and playing better than ever. For the next you two really years uh, yep. is such a mind fuck. It's such a mind fuck. And, you know, like James said, we're so internally grateful. And, and, you know, the only part, you know, when I look at people, what do you think about the past? What were you thinking back then? Or do you wish you could change? The only thing that I wish I could change is that my 
eyes were more open back then and I could have taken more in because we were always in such a hurry. I was always in such a hurry. Where's the next beer? Where's the next thing that's going to, you know, get me off or where's the next thing that's going to fulfill some, you know, uh, void in my life that day or what's the next thrill yeah. or whatever. And now it's just like I wish my eyes were more open back then to all the shit that was happening but they certainly are open now and being here you know with these three guys and this whole metallica family that's in this room all our incredible crew and our management and and our publicists and everybody that's out there recording uh, the, team the recording, recording team, team everybody that's part of the metallica family it's such a a just crazy thing well and you know what a wide fucking you know what lars that's a well said <laughs> statement because uh i feel the same way if i have regrets it's that i didn't slow down and take in what was happening when when maybe some good things were happening but i was too fucking wild and angry to even like take it in and yep. uh that's a really good point i, I really i really uh i yeah. i think a lot of us share that a lot of people regret things in life because they didn't take the time to observe and really take stuff in. But um, what can I say, guys? What a, what an incredible morning. Metallica promoting the new album, of course, today, but also celebrating all the past accomplishments. 72 seasons out, April 14th. And uh, we hail you guys. You're, you're terrific. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Thank you to you both Bye. and to the rest Thanks, of the guys. team out there. You bet. There Thanks. they are. Wonder what those boys are going to be doing the rest of the day. They're just busy being Metallica. Yeah, yeah that looks like a full time job. Been very exhausting. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> do it. I don't know how they're doing that, playing that fast. And oh, it's amazing. Richard always comes in his pants when we have those guys on. I was talking to him last night. We were on the phone, and he's like, he worships Lars and the uh -huh. drumming. Of course, he's a drummer. Well, I mean, to the point that Richard knows like when Lars changed his drum kit. You get off on those guys, huh, man? Did you go fucking crazy oh when they God. were playing? Yeah. Howard, I'm going to fucking cry now. That was fucking awesome. I mean, what you got out of them, I have never heard them talk like that to anybody. Like the detail about their songs and about their instruments. Fucking, that was awesome, Howard. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Robin. Did you see the Kirk uh, playing that wah-wah pedal? Yeah, I mean, everything, playing. Yeah. everybody, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, and Lars, like, Lars playing the drum beat from one, like, that song means so fucking much to me. Like, that song taught me how to play double bass. So it's, it was incredible, Howard. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, well, it was something to watch those guys. They really It was. That, yeah. yeah, incredible. I've never heard them get into detail like you got out of them, Howard. It was Whoa. like a master class in songwriting and, and just the songs that I grew up on. When, and, when, when, when the guys were saying Metallica belongs to everyone, do you think Metallica belongs to Fred? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's up well. to Fred. They, I, anyway. I feel like they're such a huge part of my life. That was insane. That was yeah, awesome. Those guys, they're, they seem like uh, it seems like they're playing better than ever to me. I mean, just watching yeah. that. And they yeah. have evolved so much in their philosophy yeah. of life, and and that all goes into the new music too. When um, when like when Master of Puppets came out, did you ever think those guys would be like as big as they are now? Never. No 
Never. Never. When I heard Kill 'Em All when I was 12 years old, I was like, this is the kind of stuff you play to like drive <laughs> drive your parents crazy. And, and yeah. it's like you never, I never would dream they'd be playing stadiums one day and that I would work somewhere where I get to see you interview them. It's just, it's mind boggling. I was going to ask him about Orion, you know, and because um, that's like a nine minute fucking uh you know, there's no vocal. And I, I was curious. You, see, you run out of time with those guys, but mm -hmm. I was wondering if James ever came up with lyrics for this and, like, just said, fuck it, we'll just make it an instrumental, you know? That's a great question. Yeah, yeah I but, don't know. I don't know. I, I would uh, I would suggest they need about 25 hours with me, and I can go through the whole cataloging. <laughs> find out what's going on howard i could listen to you interview them for like a month straight it was that was incredible those are some good boys that's Masterful the thing too music. when you when when you hear a band like that being interviewed that you're a fan of and you hear like how passionate they are and down to earth and like they're really good guys it makes you an even bigger fan that's why they're playing stadiums because their fans are so loyal because they they you know they're real people that have a passion for metal and that's what i love about them you know what i was thinking when i was talking to those boys i was thinking about cliff their original bass player too i mean robert's mm -hmm. fucking awesome don't get me wrong and, and but but i was thinking like cliff is this dude who started with Metallica, and he died in a freak bus accident. And um, he was great, a great musician. The boys yeah. loved him. And uh, they were touring, and, you know, these tour buses, back in the day, I guess, were dangerous. He was sleeping in the bunk, and the, tour bu the, whole, the whole tour bus crashed. Everybody was fine, except for Cliff. He died. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bus, like, turned over right on top of him, and that was the end Ugh. of him. Young guy. And I know, like, James has a tattoo of um, Cliff's baseline and um, Orion but yeah. on his arm. But I was thinking about him. I mean, that must be an eerie thing in their past, like, just something that they can never get over. Yeah. Well, they do a lot to honor Cliff, too, which I love. Like, they're still close with Cliff's family. They've done, like, a lot for Cliff's legacy, which is great. Yeah. How old was he when that bus accident happened? I think 24. I think he was Holy 24. Holy shit. Yeah. That is fucked up. Yeah. And those boys have been through a lot. Absolutely. They have a lot of fucking stuff go down in their lives. I mean, anyway, not to end on a maudlin note, but. Well, I think a lot of them. people thought they might end after that, too, and they carried on. They kept kept working. Yep. All right. Richard, go beat off. <laughs> I'm going to go cry some more. That was awesome. Thank you what again, What does Ralph Howard. want? What's Ralph want? What does he know about Metallica? He's Do you know something about... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That, listen, that was fantastic. Maybe your best interview with him yet. They talk about everything in detail, their innermost thoughts, nothing's off limits. <laughs> and then when you tell them about pulling somebody's pants down at the show, they, they can pull, nobody knows what to say. <laughs> I know, the it was with me, me up every time because yeah. he's right. told that story and never do they have a response. Was, was you know why I tell him that? You know, he pulled down? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Ralph... It was me, Ralph, my buddy Pat, and uh, Richie, my friend. Richie. And um, then we had Richie's victim. 
Rich, Rich, yeah, Richie Pickett pulled it. They would pull his pants off. I think Ralph pulled his own pants off. I mean, it was, it got really, because what it is when those guys play, you get fucking nutty. Like, you no, can't control your, your uh, yeah. stuff. And that was so great. I was, that, that was one of my top five shows I've ever been to, man. That was just yeah, incredible. What a treat that was, man. Thanks. Yeah, that was, that was nuts. That was nuts. All right, Ralph. Richie. <laughs> I remember your pants being down too, if I have it correct. But, yeah, 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 they might have been. Maybe yeah. yours were too. Come on. I love telling. I, maybe a little bit, but uh, I I love telling that to Metallica because I like, like, yeah, you know, our music and blah 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 blah. And then I go, yeah, I went to your concert. We started pulling our own pants off, <laughs> showing our ass. Yeah, like, we've, like, we've done a million shows. We've never seen anybody do that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's they funny. can't even speak. They just yeah. They, they don't even have any comment. I love telling that story. I, they have no comment. Everything they've been through and you still shock them. Like, like yes. <laughs> I love it. Are you kidding? I remember Ralph came on an usher. Like he just literally sprayed his face. <laughs> I love when you told him yeah. you stuck your own fist up your ass and James just had the funniest look on his face. He didn't know what to think. He doesn't get it. Like James doesn't get it. That music makes you crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it makes yeah. you crazy thing. You get, you you get fired has, up. Shit happens. It, it shit happens. Like, <laughs> weird well, stuff happens. Remember me, like me, you, I th I'm pretty sure Ralph was there. We saw Metallica at the Apollo and right. we were going nuts. Like I was, I don't have any hair and I like almost broke my neck head banging. <laughs> I remember that night so well. I'm standing next to Richard and we're at the Metallica show and imagine like it's a small theater. So it was crazy. Uh, they were doing it as a promotional thing. And, uh, uh, and I look over at Richard, and he's doing the headbanging move when you have long hair. Right. He used to have of, the hair, right. Yeah, yeah. And But but <laughs> he, he just started moving his head, and I go, this fucking guy, he's going to wake up tomorrow, and his head's going to hurt. Like, <laughs> it, it was did. insane. And it I did? bumped into somebody, and they got really pissed at me. I thought I was going to get my ass beat. Yeah, it's like, fuck and, you, it's a Metallica show. Yeah, but you get oh, crazy no. during these shows, and then next thing you know, you're fighting some dude, you know? it's like <laughs> I'm wearing the Apollo shirt right now, Howard, from that show. That oh, was one of the greatest that? nights ever. You know what shirt I'm wearing in honor of Metallica today? I'm What's actually that? wearing my, um, yeah, take a look, can you tell? It's kind of hard to see. It's a Black Sabbath shirt. Oh, nice. I feel, I feel Metallica owns, owes uh, a lot to Ozzy. Um, every heavy metal do. band. Yeah. Every metal band owes everything to Black Sabbath. And especially Tony Iommi, like James Hetfield said. That was so cool when he said, like, he is the riff master. Like, he created heavy metal with those fingers. And, and of course, Ozzy, too. What is the best riff that Tony Iommi ever wrote? Um... Symptom, symptom of the universe, I think, is the heaviest riff maybe ever written. It's somebody gets symptom of the universe. Yeah, if Fred can pull that up, that let's see if you're right. Let's see if you're right. And imagine in the seventies hearing something that heavy. You think Metallica has written some of the greatest riffs in the history of rock and roll? I think uh, so. Absolutely. I mean, Master of Puppets, that is the riff. Like, how do you be... Their, their riffs get you right away. Like, yeah. just sucks you right in. Oh, yeah, there you Here, go. Listen That's to that. a good riff. You're right. And then, if you stop that for a second, that brings you right to this. Yep. 
Awesome. Yeah. You see how fast Lars goes on drums? I can beat off that oh. fast because I spent... Um, you practiced most... too, have you? <laughs> Watch this, Robin. Is <laughs> <laughs> that fast I'm going? <laughs> because I spent so many years masturbating while these guys were practicing, I, I'm that quick. Your playing double bass. <laughs> yeah. How do they do that? Crazy. Like they said, you just got to lock yourself in a room all day and do nothing but play. That's that's what you got to do. There's no shortcuts when you want to play that kind of music. Master and of Kurt puppets. is sitting, standing there in the room still. I mean, he's practicing scales while you're talking to him. Yeah. You think this is, do you think, you think that's one of the greatest hooks? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you got into the how Lars came up with the idea to change the riff that Kirk wrote and the the tail they were talking about doing the yeah. three times in the tail that was awesome. Yeah, I be honest, I don't even know what the fuck those guys are talking about when it comes to music. They're too Richard but it was does great that, that, Yeah, that, I absorbed um, all that. Uh, yeah. James pointed out that Lars doesn't know how to play the guitar, and so things occur to him. That he would never think of. That James Here's would never a great think riff. of. Because yeah. he has rules for the guitar. Listen to this, Robin. Yeah. See? That's a great riff. That's a power riff, Richard. And that's what's yeah. great about their riffs. They're memorable. They stand out. You can hum them. Heavy but melodic. What's their yeah. best? Is he using a wah-wah pedal on that? On that wah -wah. I'm not sure about right. Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. That's the cool thing about Kirk, too, is sometimes he'll bend the strings so far, and it sounds like a wah-wah pedal. So it's like you don't know if he's using the wah or, or you bending the strings. He's good, um, that Kirk, right? Why, why well, don't they ever mention him as a, one of the greatest guitar players? Why don't they mention him? People do, but they should more, I think. Yeah. You're right. They should. Yeah, I it love was so he... much fun watching him play the slide guitar yeah. on that song. And I love what do you the think of this? What do you think of this? That's Lars. <laughs> Motor breath. Fucking so heavy. That came out in 1983. Can you imagine hearing that in 1983? Like, it was... Blow your fucking mind. Listen when the drums come in now. So fast. That, that's why Lars that needs a rub awesome. down, right? He needs a rub yeah. down after you play like that. <laughs> well, he was even saying once he blew, you know, he can blow out his shoulder during a concert and i'm like oh my god wow. what does that take to be able to get back on stage it's, the next night it's like he's a pitcher like a major league pitcher yeah. you know <laughs> why don't they write a few more slow songs so lars can get a <laughs> fucking break give him a I mean, break <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. oh my the god same. so great nice. so great and i love that their new songs like lux eterna 
is fast like that. Like they're not slowing down. They're they're yeah. doing the music that they did when they were in their twenties. <laughs> it's almost it's almost crazy. Pull your pants down. Come over here, Richard. <laughs> I'll let you pull my pants down anyway. I know you will, believe me. Who are you asking, right? And you won't even you can do, it. do whatever you want. Don't you want to pull your pants off when you hear this? It I'll should pull be wearing my clothes. pants off right now. No, take, no, take it easy. I don't want to see that. You We're could stick fun. your fist up Richard's ass. He was like, yes. <laughs> Let's build a whole show around that, Robin. Let's do a big build-up. Well, thank at you, uh, Metallica. It was awesome to uh, see you guys, yeah, Ralph. What great times. Fun walking down memory lane. So uh, yeah, there you go. a good one. Thank you. There you go. Thank, Thank you. you, Howard. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Testing. One, two. Uh, next week on Howard 101 Date Me, hosted by John Lieberman. Each day features show moments that happened on that date. Um, yeah. So, uh, we'll, uh, see you next time. Uh, thank you so much, Metallica, and your new album, 72 Seasons. April and 14th, did you say? That's, that is, Robin, you have a recall for concert <laughs> dates, uh, going back to your groupie days. That is, uh, this Friday. This That's Friday. right. April yeah. 14th, uh, Robin went to many concerts <laughs> and <laughs> here to life around that. And don't forget no. Sam's mom dating game. Listen, you all wrote me. You want to, uh, I don't want to say fuck, but hey you want to date Sam's mom. If you're an eligible bachelor who wants to enter the Sam's mom dating game, send an email with your contact info and why you'd like to date Sam's mom to contest at howardstern.com or leave us a voicemail at 888. That's 888-STERN-100. 888-783-7610. And uh, remember what we said. Saxophone is stupid in songs. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we know. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time.